Hi folks, before we get into the main episode, I just want to let you guys know that we have two upcoming episodes that we thought we might uh, let you know about beforehand, because we want to do some uh, homework assignments. But don't worry, it's not uh, any reading, just going to be watching some movies so that we can discuss them in full. Uh, Dom and I have a planned double feature of the Snyder Cut and Justice League, uh, like the Warner Brothers version, that we're going to watch, and then we're going to go back and forth looking at uh, how the two different versions compare. We just haven't got rid of that yet, and I've finally got myself a copy of the Justice League, uh, the Snyder Cut, for about a tenner at Tesco's, so it felt like a good idea to actually sit down and talk about the you know one of the biggest fails or wins or most expensive movies of all time, um, and just see how that compares with its two different cuts. Um, the other one is that we're going to have a kind of breakdown of the work of Satoshi Kon, a anime director who I would say is one of the greatest of all time. Uh, we'll be looking at his uh, movies mostly. We do know that there's the uh, Paranoia Agent series, but it's a bit harder to get our hands on that. So as a kind of breakdown of his work, we're going to be looking at Perfect Blue, Paprika, Tokyo Godfathers and Millennium Actress. And uh, yeah, I think you should uh, check out these movies. They're, I think they're all fantastic. They're all a bit weird and quirky in their own way. And uh, I can't wait to talk about it. In the meantime, uh, let's just play the music and get on with the main episode. Well, we may have been off the air for so long that my original episode notes uh, opening starting for this bit uh, began with uh, talking about the Olympics. But we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Don? Wait, the Olympics happened? When the fuck that happened? That happened uh, somewhere between episode 51 and now. Um, yeah, hard to believe, but there was a Japanese Olympics that actually pulled off. But uh, yeah, we didn't actually get to talk about it. We watched a few events, but uh, yeah, we never got to talk about it. And uh, as I, we... I didn't catch any of the Olympics. I haven't been honest. <laughs> I didn't even know what was happening. I watched the uh, women's rock climbing. That was fucking fun. Um, I didn't know that rock climbing was in the Olympics this year, but uh, yeah, it was. It was fun. Uh, it was. It's a weird event, and you can see like where they're getting their the marks from, like how they're technically scoring the events, and it it works. But uh, yeah, it was weird. I think we uh, we did really well in a few events that came in the new uh, the new roster of events, but I think we won. Did we win skateboarding? It was like some 13-year-old kid. Skateboarding was in the All Olympics, right. yeah. It was a weird one. But yeah, some kid came over and just dominated the competition. Um, which, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about what it takes to actually be good at skateboarding, it does take a lot of time and practice and rubbery bones yeah. to avoid being absolutely crushed. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen Tony Hawk these days, but yeah, he's showing some wear and tear. Yeah, he's looking his age. Although if you want to hear what he's talking about, because everybody else is getting a podcast, why not Tony Hawk? Uh, Tony Hawk and another professional skater have joined the legion of celebrities that are turning their hands to podcast realm through uh, iHeartRadio. Oh yeah, so it's now Bill Clinton, Tony Hawk. <laughs> Bill Clinton, Tony Hawk. Uh, and they all start the same way. It's literally just like, hey guys, I'm Jim Bob, and we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, Join me in my new podcast where we're going to talk to celebrities, we're going to talk to people in the industry, we're going to talk to politicians, who who knows? And we're all just going to, we're going to talk about current affairs, we're going to break it down, we're going to build it back up, we're going to smash it again, we're going to reconstruct it, we're going to re redefine media, who knows? We're going to get everything in this podcast. <laughs> That's the same fucking trailer that I just heard two trailers ago. 
It's weird all that the they same to put a trailer out for that, though. I mean, surely you get the idea of just a general podcast. They're all trying to rip off the Joe Rogan experience, so why not just say, hey, I'm just doing a podcast. You know what to expect. Blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. Join me on blah, blah, blah. The blah, blah, blah experience. <laughs> it's just, I get that you're trying to sell people on an experience when you start a podcast, but at the same time, everyone else is saying, I'm going to talk to influential people in the media and we're going to get their opinion. How many other podcasts are doing that? Yeah. I mean, I did find it interesting. There's uh, Two Bears, One Cave. Did an episode with Roy... uh, Don't say Roy Jones Jr. That's a totally different person. But uh, Roy Wood Jr. uh, He used to be a Daily Show correspondent. And his his podcast idea was to go and interview people for their worst work stories. And he has found some weird shit uh, out there. But that's the thing. You go to the people. Go find someone. He has a weird story to tell because there are you know, 7 billion people on this planet. At least one or two of them must have a funny story. Yeah. you got to imagine, especially celebrities, because they, most of their pre-break, or sort of pre-big break jobs were in the service industry, the hospitality industry. you got to imagine they've got some weird tales to tell from working in hotels and restaurants and shit like that. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, it's odd to see podcasting being this way. Yeah. Know? I feel like we do need to address the elephant room. Uh, the, the Joe Rogan. Keep listening to our podcast. What? <laughs> we need to address the elephant in the room. All these other podcasts suck. <laughs> our one is good. No, I was going to say just. We, the... we were talking about the Olympics. I kind of want to bring it back to the Paralympics. I haven't seen any of the Paralympics. I did see some of the Paralympics, and wheelchair tennis is my new favorite thing on the planet. Right. Wheelchair tennis, like the speed. That these athletes move at while in a wheelchair defies belief. Like hmm. the, the turns and shit that they're executing and hitting a perfect lob shot and everything that you expect a regular tennis player to do, they're doing in a wheelchair. It is mind blowing. I've seen footage of like a wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby. And yep. uh, yeah, those are insane. But for some reason, I never thought tennis would work that well. But yeah, I guess you would have to. Yeah, I I might check something out. It's uh, is yep. Paralympics still ongoing, or is it? I don't know. I, I caught that. Uh, caught that one morning before I was uh, before I was taking my dog out. So this was about seven o'clock in the morning. Right, time for Google. <laughs> Best yeah, Google of wheelchair Olympics. <laughs> it's it's got to be. Uh, it's gonna have a weird set of skills, but yeah, I I guess if you can get the chair, I imagine the engineering on the chairs is really weird. Like it's gotta be a precision work of art, but also rugged. Yeah, it's got to take it. Uh, it's gotta be hard wearing, and the wheels are angled, and it's got sort of state essentially like stabilizing wheels on it. Keep the guy balanced. Oh, I mean, like the the wheelchair uh, rugby stuff is like they, those are designed to just go through walls. Because <laughs> they frequently go through each other. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess you would have... I, I was thinking more about the actual, just the wheels themselves, but I suppose all the like mechanisms you have to hold the player in place, I guess. Mm. And, oh, yeah, I might actually like to check that out. This is quite interesting. Yeah. I uh, I actually haven't watched any of the Paralympics at all. I just, I, I've missed it all. We've been, like, busy for the last couple of weeks, so I've missed mm. it. <laughs> I've missed many, many events. But, um, yeah, is, is there anything else... What it was worth watching at the Paralympics this year because I didn't check it out that much. Uh, no, like I said, I caught the a bit of the wheelchair tennis, caught uh, some wheelchair basketball, but again, 
I appreciate the values and stuff behind the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games. They're both phenomenal events, but I just it's it's an ongoing competition I don't really have much of an interest in. I'll watch it if it's on at the time. Or if if it's left on that channel, I'll watch it morbidly, but I'm not gonna seek out seeing I need to see the, the rugby sevens on the Olympics or the you know, wheelchair rugby on the Paralympics. Not a big deal to me. Yeah. I was talking to somebody at work who said it was just good to have it on the background and you could just mm. tune back in and out or if you just come home from work and you're like, I don't know what to watch, just have it on there and just check out something you might not have seen before. Mm. Except for dressage. Fuck that. Fuck dress fuck yeah, dancing horses. <laughs> Literally dancing horses and somehow like it's the, the old joke that's been a thousand times. The horse dances for like five minutes and the person like on top who just stays on gets a gold Olympic medal. Yeah. Ridiculous. Just dancing horses. It's that is <laughs> Do you know what that is? That is white people's sport. It it is white people rodeo. It's not redneck yeah. rodeo, it's a white people rodeo. Okay. <laughs> the horse is just too polite to buck them off. Yeah. It's a middle class rodeo. <laughs> Oh, it's um, it, it's weird. I I can't really bring myself. I, I wonder what it'd be like to just sit. We've missed our opportunity, but I suppose we could do it in two years' time, or actually, would it be one year's time, because of the uh, the Olympics in Japan being delayed? But there'll be Winter yeah. Olympics, right? Yeah, there'll be the Winter Olympics. Then there'll be. I don't know if they're just going ahead with the twenty twenty four games because in that case, we've only got about what, two and a bit years to wait. Yeah, what if we just take off two weeks and just watch the games? <laughs> just, just I watched every Olympic game. Here's how I feel about it. It fucking sucks. <laughs> Where's the next one? I think this one's is the next one China again. I don't. Paris, twenty twenty four. All right, because they've also got the Rugby World Cup as well. Hmm. There's more chance of me being able to go to Paris or go to France for a few rugby games than I was me going to Japan for a few rugby games. I would have loved to go into the Rugby World Cup in Japan, but. Yeah, I don't have about two thousand pounds to spend on flights, so <laughs> probably the smart thing that I didn't go. Two thousand pounds on just the flight. It's ridiculous. I, I found some interesting uh, YouTube channels about like life in Japan that are really weird. I'm trying to find one. I'm just going to recommend it. But it is a guy who does basically. Well, it's a uh, Paolo from Tokyo, and hmm. it's a guy who just asks his friends, "Can I film a day in your life?" And he goes out to like various friends that he's got, and he's done like hotel workers, uh, Japanese salarymen, firefighters. Uh, like house moms and stuff like that. He says, "Okay, this is like a, this is twenty four hours as that person," and it's in it's really weird to see like such a different place. <laughs> it seems so similar, but it's completely different culture. Like the um, that my favorite one was the ramen shop owner, and it's a guy who is basically on the same day as he's doing the the filming, he's supposed to prepare a a new dish to be served as part of the menu mm-hmm. to present it to the owner. But it's him like running around for like ten hours, just trying to deal with every other issue in the shop at the same time as trying to build his masterpiece. Um, and it's really, really weird to see like how dedicated he is to noodles. It's very <laughs> impressive. But yeah, check it, Paolo from Tokyo. He's got a lot of good Paolo videos. Um, but every yeah. time I look up videos from Japan or specifically uh, Tokyo, uh, I always end up getting a. Uh, drawn to this one channel it's a certain restaurant in japan and they make a dish called omo rice oh and the omo rice is it the omelet one yeah yeah the omelet that's over the chicken rice and it's par cooked because the heat for the rice finishes cooking the omelet that's it's so good. hypnotic they, it's hypnotic w- watching someone perfectly like when they nail it and the, the omelet folds over because it's partially cooked so what you do is 
once you get the partially cooked omelette on top of the rice, you cut the top of it, for anyone who hasn't seen this, and the omelette just folds over the rice, and it's gorgeous. It's a fucking yep. masterpiece. <laughs> you go, how did you make art? <laughs> it's fucking rice, egg, and milk. <laughs> what did you do to make art? <laughs> it's the four ingredients, onion, chicken, rice, and egg. And, ah. Uh, it's, the guy somehow uh, manages to make an experience out of you. And it's, I think he's just feeding, literally feeding off people's energy, because the guy that runs the restaurant is in his mid-60s, and he looked younger than me. I love when you find someone who's been doing that one thing for like 30 years, and they're just yeah. a whiz. And you're like, how did you get this good? And he goes, I've just been doing it for 30 years. <laughs> like, for as long wow. as you've been alive, I've been making this shit. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. For as long as you've been alive, there has been a man just making omelettes and rice. And he's a fucking genius. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think about that sometimes. You know, like, I wonder if there will be, ever be anything that I'm an absolute fucking genius at, but uh, like I don't know it yet because I need to do it for another fifteen twenty years. Although I did find another uh, YouTube channel of a woman from Japan living in England explaining the differences there, and mm. her channel was actually quite good. It was very low production value. It's obviously just something he does spare time. So she's like talking to herself on her phone, but it's not bad. Not the worst thing yeah. I've seen. But then, like, I found I'd watched almost all of her videos, and then there was just a gap that lasted for, like, six months, and then a video saying, I'm back in Japan, here's an update on what's happened, and it's, like, really tragic. Like, her, she she was in England, uh, her husband got very sick and died, and then all of a sudden, she's just like, I had to go back to Japan to be with my family, because I didn't know what to do, and I don't know if I'm ever making videos again. You're like, oh my god, this took such a total turn, because she's such a nice, pleasant person. Like, well, this is, I really like this about the English. This is what they do very well. I like the healthcare system. I like going to the countryside. It's like going to a zoo because you can just go and see the animals. I never had that. And when I grew up in rural Japan, I just walked around rice fields for hours. I could just go out in England and visit farmyards and play with animals that I would never normally see living in Japan or living in the cities. And she was like, and then all of a sudden it's just bang, channel stop. I can't make videos anymore. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And you're like, oh, Shit, is she okay? Can we help somehow? Like, yeah. what do we, what do we do? Very strange. Took a sinister turn. I quite like that uh, weird window we have into people's lives now. It's a bit yeah. odd, but it's 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 good. It has its moments. Uh, I oh. think I think uh, the whole lockdown experience kind of kind of helped that as well because more people were going online and making videos. There was just a huge uptick in people that you'd never seen before on YouTube showing up saying, "This is what I do now." Yeah, and, and it kind of, kind of gave us that bigger window into people's lifestyle. But I think I was thinking about this uh, a couple of days ago when I was listening to a podcast with uh, David Tennant and Neil Gaiman. Uh, I think the whole lockdown experience has made us unimpressed by everything. <laughs> yeah, like the whole mysticism behind people who bake bread gone. Like, oh, you can make bread now. I got a machine that does that at home, and I can make it by hand. Like people that make. <laughs> Are people that uh, are artists that can draw and stuff. It's still a skill, but more people have learned to draw during lockdown. It's like uh, one of the things I was told by my lecturer, lecturer at uh, my master's course, was uh, don't be surprised if when you get into practice and you're dealing with clients, people don't give a shit about what about the law you know. They just want you to help because the mysticism of being a lawyer is gone. And I think that happened just nation or globally over lockdown. Like, or you can build a bike, but one during lockdown, mate. You're not that special. It's quite impressive that, like, with all the outside motivation gone, we turned inside and did little bits and pieces on ourselves. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I, I do wonder what that means going forward because there's obviously big issues coming up in the future of like employment. Um, there's a lot of grappling with automation. Mm-hmm. We're going to be at the point where we need to find something for a couple million people to do very shortly with self-driving yeah. cars. <laughs> if self-driving cars are legalized and approved to go on the roads and handle like basically freight and business and shipping, like a self-driving truck, if you put all the truckers out of work, what do those truckers do? And I wonder if this is a not like a test run, but if it's a bit of a window and indication into what people could do if we didn't have to work. Because it's a yeah. it's a big picture yeah. question that is being answered in very like confusing ways. People are like, oh, we'll just we'll just pay people money. I'm like, but the money won't mean anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there needs to be something happening to generate the value of that money. It's very strange to say, oh, we can just print the money and it'll make the problems go away. Like the actual the big answers come down to, I guess we just don't need money anymore. As long as everyone's well-fed and has shelter, what do we need money for? It's very strange. But uh, yeah, I wonder what yeah. happens with uh, a workforce that doesn't need to work in the future. And I wonder if this is an indication that we all just do turn inwards and perfect things and craft things and work on projects and become more creative as a whole. We revert back in time towards the Iron Ages, and we just start melting down the machines that used to help us. <laughs> we make large steel trebuchets to attack the factories. I like that we make them out of steel. <laughs> yeah, we, we make we use the steel. We've melted the steel down. What do we do with it? Build trebuchets. Shit, yeah. <laughs> Throw those machines that we built. Who's boss? <laughs> I would have just went battering ram. I just <laughs> giant steel battering ram. <laughs> With handles inside, and we just beat the shit out of everything. We run into it. We show them through the power of man and not mechanical engineering. <laughs> we are stronger than the machines. <laughs> yeah. We retake our place on the planet. Let them know who they're missing. Actually, um, speaking of like, so social media is like windows into people's lives. Um, I closed one of those windows recently. Um, I got off Twitter. And yeah, I noticed that because I. I... There was something I wanted to show you, and I since not been able to find it again. But I was like, I'll try calling it that. Oh, not on Twitter. <laughs> At I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just um, I, I was... so maybe I spelled at wrong, or maybe I spelled iron wrong. <laughs> Did like, I oh, spell at wrong? <laughs> oh, that'd be good. Just <laughs> ampersand, <laughs> ampersand iron hoard the mad. <laughs> Why isn't this working? Oh, hold on, shit. I'll spell ampersand and see if that helps. <laughs> and the yeah i just I, I decided i was looking at what i'm doing on twitter and what i'm how much time i sit there looking at a screen that doesn't change doesn't do anything there's still the podcast where if people want to reach out to me i'm still there i still have access to that account i'm still reading stuff that comes through there um but i I'm just otherwise cannot be bothered with um that aspect of social media which means the only thing i have left is i mean i don't know if people count youtube i think of youtube as social media um, just with a video sharing content as opposed to video or as opposed to uh, tweets or pictures. But um, yeah, other than that, I just have a Reddit, which, you know, I find too valuable. Chuck, Joe, or picking up any ideas or finding new ideas online. I, I just, I have that left um, for now. So yeah, by the end of 2021, I hope to be able to read a book again without checking my phone. <laughs> I just started reading started reading again properly not just comic books because you know they still don't count as real books apparently but uh, 
managed to get a hold of a copy of a book called Itchy Tasty by a guy called Alex Anil, and it's uh, basically a, a history of Resident Evil, starting from way back when it was concept under Shinji Mikami after he finished a game called Sweet Home for Capcom, and then they wanted to do a sequel to that, and then they lost the rights to the game, uh, the title Sweet Home, because it was meant to be a movie. And it's basically just kind of documents the, the few good years where they made, you know, Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3, then they're making 4, and then the sharp downturn after Resi 5. <laughs> Pretty good book. If you can send me, a, like, a, a photo of that, and I, I can go look for it to find out what's going on, because I, I find the video game history to be quite interesting. Like, whenever I yeah. never think about it. And then someone tells you the story of how it all went down, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that would take a lot of, uh, like, forward planning and how the team works and how uh, things all come together and then like when you get to weird like beast oh actually two things I've got here in the notes that we definitely should have talked about uh, two big passings actually uh, two deaths um, in worlds that are kind of relevant to you know, our development really as people um, from the heavy metal side Joey Jordanson of Slipknot has passed away oh yeah which uh, hmm <laughs> But yeah, after 2016 and just the wave of just inspirational deaths, like every childhood hero you had was just gone. And you felt kind of numb for a while, but then every now and again, yeah. something slips through and you're like, as a metal kid growing up in the 2000s, there were few names bigger than Joey Jordanson. Um, I mean, when you have like the list of greatest drummers of all time, yeah. your dad's always going to say uh, Neil Peart, Mike Portnoy, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, you can say as the kid, screw you old man. Joe Johnson can drum upside down. <laughs> yeah. Even at, the, even at that, that wasn't originally his. He took that from Tommy Lee from Multicore. That was his first thing. But yeah, Joe Johnson was like, he's much better, old man. Get with the times. <laughs> and you drum See, that I like that. I like that you said, well, your dad would say Neil Peart. Like, clearly, we had different dads. My dad would say some weird, obscure jazz drummer that no one's even heard of. <laughs> Daddy's not real. He's a figment of your imagination. <laughs> Nah, man, he His plays name a... is the cystitis kid. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's not real. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of the things where someone you've always kind of looked up to, even though you were never going to play the drums, but someone who was so undeniably cool at something you would never master is gone. And you're like, oh, shit. Well, he actually conv- he convinced me to start playing the drums. And I kept that going for a little bit before I had to sell my drum kit because of noise complaints. <laughs> uh, the classic drummer story <laughs> yeah I ended up selling it to my brother he moved out I was like, All right. I'll take that but yeah because uh, I was what to play mainly sort of metal and I was trying to get the double bass pedal down and it was an electric kit so all the neighbours would hear would be me just hitting these heavy rubber drums and they just hear like, oh, I can't replicate the noise but they just hear this wood on rubber for about two and a half hours, three hours a day because I was really, really trying to learn how to play the drums. But <laughs> yeah, after I think about three or four noise complaints, we just thought, yeah, it's it's either going to get taken off me or it's going to get sold when I'm not expecting it. So I'm just going to sell it myself and try and get something back. From I mean, just yeah. just to run through like Joey's legacy, finding yeah. a member of Slipknot and Murder Dolls. And was picked as a captain for Roadrunner United, which is one of our favourite projects, which was just yeah. random artists and people picked from Roadrunner, uh, Roadrunner's uh, record label to work together mm-hmm. and make a, a kind of best of 25th uh, year anniversary album, uh, which now is probably about 
20 years old, um, which is terrifying. But yeah, it's, I mean, he's got, he's worked with Rob Zombie. Apparently, I never knew that, but apparently he's worked with Rob he Zombie did. back in the day. And there are, it's hard to measure how big someone's impact can be, but I think Joey Johnson, you got to say, absolutely monstrous impact. Yeah. He's a, he influenced a legion of uh, drummers from our age group in high school. He just with his how fast he could play, it's just it was revolutionary for his time. There was no one really of his caliber in the sort of early new metal scene in the early two thousands. And most of the people that came after him that maybe, you know, were similar all have Joy Jordison to thank for developing that really, really quick style of playing. And there's always the day that you learn he actually was a guitarist first, drumming is just something he kind of picked up on the side. And you're like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> it, it's kind of an opposite Dave Grohl thing, because Dave Grohl was always a drummer, but then you find out he's probably one of the best rock guitarists on the scene right now. Yeah. Uh, the, the other one, as well, sucks, uh, but it's a bit more local. Say Joey Johnson is more of an international figure. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, in the UK, we are basically all mourning the death of Sean Locke, who is a UK comedian who has done a lot of stand-up, but is mostly known for panel shows. Uh, mostly uh, done work on QI back in the day. Um, I don't know if I've seen him in any of the newer stuff, but he has also done a lot of stuff with 8 out of 10 Cats, which is Jimmy Carr's uh, Channel 4 uh, statistics-based uh, like comedy series. That um, It's also 8 out of 10 Cats does Countdown, which I'd say is my favourite iteration of that show. And just yeah. anything related to Channel 4, I think he's been on it at least. Uh, any panel show you can think of, from QI uh, all the way to Have a Got News for You, that you, that, that is pretty much your dad's TV panel show. He's been on. And his comedy, he was always, you know, he was a fearless comedian. There was nothing that he would really avoid saying, but he would never veer it in anything that you would typically associate with, you know, the fearless comedian. Like he would always keep it tame, but yeah. there was the way he would handle things was absolutely fearless. I, I see a lot of times when I look at people on those panel shows are trying to make the audience laugh. Sean Locke is there to make the other comedians laugh, and it shows every yeah. time. He's like, if the audience gets it, good for them. He probably will. Um, But I'm here just to make Jimmy Carr laugh. I'm just here to make... Yeah. John Richardson laugh. I'm just here to take the piss. And one thing I found is it's a very good way of saying fearless because he was very good at being very irreverent and very good yeah. at being almost nonsensical. Like in a way you watch his jokes that he's making, you're like it most of the jokes come so far out of left field that you've no amazing to see that like all the outpouring of support that was there for him. Like you watch it and you're like, Oh yeah, we all really did appreciate this one weird zany guy who showed up every couple nights to make his laugh on TV for so long. Like, 8 out of yeah. 10 cats has been going on for a long time. And it's not going to be the same without him. Uh, I've been going through all the clips, all the highlights, reels of all the shows he's been on, and you got to say it's a hell of a body of work he's been putting yeah. out for the last he's, been, he's, he's been doing all the all this TV work. Like he's, he's one of the captains on 8 out of 10 cats to count down. And I think he showed his regular appearances on regular 8 out of 10 cats and, you know, all the other panel shows that he does. And he was still a touring comedian mm -hmm. doing sort of UK tours yearly. Yeah, all while hiding 
fail a terminal disease, you you got um you got to applaud the work ethic alone. Yeah, I think. And he um, you can see the the clips coming out of like interviews with other comedians like Eddie Azard. Um, yeah. about a lot of people spoke about it. just like the fact that you don't know is that Sean's doing. He has made it that way. He has yeah. decided that it's best not to ruin the entertainment by making you think about what he's going through when he's up there. And hats off to him for that because he has put in an absolute shift towards the end as well to make sure everything's all sorted and taken care of. And you, you hope his wife and kids are okay. Also, yeah. It can't be easy, but it's really inspirational. The amount of work he put into yeah. it. One of, one of the greats of panel shows that it might not make a lot of sense to the US listeners. I don't think they have that over there. Um, I was talking to Stephen, my brother, about this, and he was saying, I think they have the late night shows and we have the panel shows. Because they both fall in the same kind of time slot. Yeah. But other than a few attempts to try and make the panel shows work over here, we just don't do that. Whereas we have our shows that we have, whereas they have the uh, Rest in Peace, Sean Locke and Joey Johnson, which is an odd combination to put together. Okay. <laughs> that would have been the world's best comedy show. Joey Johnson <laughs> doing rim shots as a. Uh, John Locke just rattles through a comedy set. That'd be amazing. I'd pay to see that. <laughs> Give it the full lighting. The full working lights. That, that'd make it really worth it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been a weird um, weird couple of weeks. It's, it's strange that the um, John Locke's death felt very similar to the passing of Quintana Mira, where it just hits you in waves. Where you just sit yeah. there and you, you have that initial impact of, oh no, why? Like that initial disbelief and then you walk around your daily life and realize bits and pieces that you never really considered before <laughs> and yeah. you're back down that hole again like, yeah shit never gonna see them on the uh the yearly shows as well yeah that was always one of the highlights of my year watching uh but the big fat quiz of the year just seen sure not if he was uh, one of the contestants show up and just tear some bullshit to shreds. Like there was an ep- one of the early episodes of Big Fat Cruise of the Year that he did relentlessly tears on a bunch of child actors that are doing a reenactment of <laughs> uh, whatever hell, whatever the hell Paul McCartney's ex-wife was, trying to get more money. And he's just sitting there going like, well these kids need to fucking be told. Like, Keep your day job kids. Whoever told you that you need to be an actor needs to be fired. <laughs> because they're clearly filling your heads with noise. Yeah, that's a uh, big fact because the year, and yeah, those kid reenactments like, are really good. <laughs> they just yeah. have a bunch of like five year olds try and recreate, recreate popular or things that happened during the year, and everyone has to try and guess what's going on. Oh, he- uh, Heather Mills McCartney, for some reason. I remember Heather her name. <laughs> can't remember what date it is, but can remember her name for some reason. That's great. <laughs> I meant to ask you, though, because you told me about this before we started. Uh, you went okay. to see uh, the the new Marvel movie. I did. I went to go see uh, Shang-Chi, or sorry, Shang-Chi, and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And it was, like with all Marvel films, it's a lot funnier than you would expect it to be. I think coming from DC, I appreciate kind of a, a darker comic book thing, a comic book film. That's just me. I still really, really enjoyed Shang-Chi. Uh, does that sound racist when I say try and pronounce it like that? I think it does, so I'm just going to say Shang-Chi. No, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not going to say 
I'm not going to say it properly because it makes me sound racist, I think. But, <laughs> but is that racist to think of it as being racist? I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. I'm the racist paradox, postcard, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I went to go see uh, Chang-Chi last night. Uh, it's the, I think it's the first film of Phase 4 of the Marvel Universe because you can argue Black Widow, but Black Widow is it's a prequel. Yeah. It, it, it happens before Infinity War, but after Civil War. So it's it's kind of this weird self-contained story. But Shang-Chi, uh, it follows the titular character hiding out in San Francisco, uh, basically on the run from his crime boss, immortal, you know, kung fu master of a dad, who is trying to find, you know, the source of ultimate power because the, his his whole thing is he finds the the legendary ten rings and uses it to conquer most of everything. And then once he gets to a point where he has everything, that's when he there's this he meets uh, the main character's mother and starts building a family off of that. And it's I don't want to say it's you could I don't want to say it's typical, or I don't want to say it's predictable, but you could quite easily say random things and predict what happens in this film quite easily. But it's how they do some of the things. The fight choreography is insane in this film. And you'd expect it to be because it is a Kung Fu film. Right. Yeah, it, it is genuinely insane, except some CGI moments are very difficult to follow because it's CGI, which is difficult to get done right in the first place. But those wizards at Marvel do it every time. And it's shot at night. So some of the CGI is very hard to follow. It just looks like at one point Shang-Chi jumps out of a moving vehicle and he drop kicks one of the bad guys on a bike that's following him following him out of this compound. And you kinda have to focus very hard on it because it all just kinda blurs together because of the CG and like they're shooting in this at night. I, I kinda wanna try and keep it spoiler free because I've went I know we're I know you're usually cool with spoilers, but I think uh, this film it's you probably know what's going to happen anyway, so I'm just going to leave it to your imagination. I'm not going to say for definite that is, is what's going to happen, but I say you need to go and see it for yourself because there's things that happen in this film that set up next steps in the film, and there's little nuggets in there that you're going to pick up on. And as with any Marvel film, there's going to be little cameos and stuff that you can go, holy shit, that's that guy. Holy shit, that's that guy. What the hell is that guy doing still alive? That are going to be worth the price of admission for you. Can you do me a favor and just let me know, is it before or after, like, Canonically, is it before and after Infinity War? This is after Endgame. Right, okay. So this is, uh, literally one of the characters literally references uh, the the blip or the dustening or whatever the hell it's called. Uh, they say, we, lit and we now live in a world where the entire population can disappear, just like that. And then, you know, it's, I think they then go on and say, like, it's important that you live your life or something, because the, one of the whole uh, things behind Shang-Chi is that uh, He's he's hiding from like who he is. He's not living to his full potential, that kind of thing. Because when you find him in San Francisco, he is uh, parking cars as a valet in front of a very rich hotel. That's where him and the sort of other protagonists are hiding out for most of the film before one of the sort of big set pieces happens. Huh. It's the same theory that they're going back to the what was often called the Marvel formula. That every time you introduce a new superhero, his film, his or her film has to be in a certain way. There's to be certain plot points to go through yeah. to 
show the past, show the tragedy, show the reluctant life afterwards, then show the, the rising to the, the hero moment. Like there yeah. was always like that formula there for most of those films. And I uh I was hoping for them to get out of it because it seemed like they were, but I think it was just because yeah. they were going on to like the second or third movies for each one of these heroes that we didn't have yeah. to do that again. So I think it'll be interesting to see how people deal with handling the, the formula now that it's back. Yeah, I think the most non-formulaic origin film was Ant-Man. But that's because that was that was an Edgar Wright movie that was originally shot like an Edgar Wright movie. So that film was basically going to be a comedy film with Ant-Man in it. Yeah. So that's basically, there was no kind of, here's what happened to me when I was younger. But with uh, Shang-Chi, it is exactly like you said it is. It is an origin story. There is the the character's past, why they, they were trained as an assassin. And they were tasked with uh, their first assassination, and they ran away because they didn't want to be, they didn't want to be taking lives for the rest of their life. Right. And then there's the acceptance of it. Then there's the big fight at the end of it. This, and it just, I won't really say that they're falling back into a formula, but they're falling back into an origin movie formula, which is kind of unavoidable when you're introducing a new character. Mm. The film doesn't do anything blockbuster new all the stuff is just it's kind of different takes on the old formula to an extent but it's still what they do with it is kind of fun the characters that they bring back are quite fun and the main draw of this film is like i said fucking amazing fight scenes how are we talking comparably to say modern action or modern not kung fu but modern martial arts movies um like the raid uh stuff like that the night comes uh, from stuff like that it's going to be a bit over, a bit over exaggerated compared to your, uh, to the raid because the raid was, the raid was meant to be you know just gritty like throwing dust in each other's eyes. That was meant to be a proper, you know, martial art brawl. Like they're just going all out on trying to beat each other for ten twenty minutes. But Shang Chi is it's very, I've used the word choreographed because it kind of is. It's like just very high intensity very well played out choreography and some a lot of the fights are really good but I'm not going to say if you want to go and see a kung fu film go and see Shang-Chi if you want to go see a kung fu film go and rent or go and buy The Raid or go and buy you know Warrior King with Tony Ya go buy any of those films doesn't really hold a candle one of them is a film all about martial arts Shang-Chi kind of just has martial arts in it Okay. even though even though it's kind of one of the main draws of the character, but still, it's Shang Chi is more about, like I said, the hero's story, accepting who he is, accepting that even though he views his father as evil, his father still forms a part of him, and even though his mother was seen as this defender, this kind of sanguine protector, the ultimate good, you know, they kind of form together and make this one person. It's all about accepting both aspects of yourself. But there is one scene where he, uh, Shang-Chi, just goes full Doom music. You know, have you seen the videos on YouTube when the Doom music kicks in? <laughs> yes. There's a song that is just, sounds like it was ripped straight out of Doom Eternal. And then Shang-Chi just wastes the shit out of six people on a bus. <laughs> it's just, I, it, I like the idea of, like, because the thing for me, for whenever, whenever the Doom music starts, you cock the shotgun. I like the idea of him just cocking his fists. <laughs> it's beating the shit or, out of 10 people. <laughs> I, he just kind of he, he takes a battle stand, then just starts laying into people. Pretty cool to see. That was 
that and another part later on in the film where another character reappears from earlier movies. Definitely. I get that sounds like the biggest cock tease, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, you know, hard stance on spoilers now. No spoilers for me. I want people to experience it without my influence. But yeah, they re- they bring back another character from other Marvel films. That is pretty fun. Just as a side note, if you ever want to experience the Doom music, in air quotes, uh, check out The Only Thing They Have to Fear Is You by Mick Gordon yep. on YouTube. Get ready to be very angry for no reason. You're about yeah. to get really pumped up, but it's great. You just run about your street <laughs> shouting. Yeah. If you if you do that in front of a deadlift bar, the bar lifts itself. That's how angry yeah. you get. <laughs> but, um, All words will leave your mind. The only two words that will, the only three words that will stay in your mind will be rip and tear. <laughs> I uh, I was thinking about this because it's one thing I've heard. It's from like real film snobs. Like people are real. Like there's probably for people who like films, and there's people who are complete cunts about movies. And it's from yeah. the film snobs, I hear the complaint of, I can't believe people of the Marvel films. They have to pre-choreograph and pre-render CGI for fight scenes years in advance for like stuff like Avengers Endgame and Infinity War like that big battle for towards the end to take down Thanos that was large parts of that were pre-rendered and pre-visualized long before directors were involved in actually hands-on time because the studio has to make a massive fight scene that lasts for about a third of the movie and has to have it all ready to go at the same time as actual live action filming and have them merged together seamlessly. And people get really upset about the idea that you have to do something like that, because it's not true art, and it's not the way you can film it. It's like, okay, cool. Um, But also, do you know what you're trying to talk about here? (laughs) Like, You can't... Like, the the thing with Marvel's production line is it was set in stone at conferences where they said, we will have all these films ready by this time. You kind of have to pre-produce a lot of stuff like that. Doesn't mean you're not getting a gourmet meal for large parts of it. But eventually, yeah. somebody has to go out and buy store bought fries. Yeah, something you're gonna yeah you're gonna get an absolute gourmet burger, but the bread might be from farm foods. Like you're <laughs> just gonna you're just gonna have to accept the meal as a whole. And do people really want to see previs Marvel movies that haven't been planned out properly? That's just gonna make for a shitty film. The fact that they're putting in this amount of work to make sure that every film is held up to a certain standard. It's kind of what you want. Well, here's the thing is, you could make those films filmed in the moment and then CGI is all fixed later. But that adds massive time on the back end to the production cycle. So that means that we don't have a, like, Marvel is trying to make all these things in a timeline so that everything releases constantly. They they obtain a massive control over the media, um, like, for over cinema for a decade or more. And they do it by having all these films come out, like, every six months, like clockwork if they have to pre-visualize stuff like that as part of a strategy, it kind of makes sense. Like, it's it just common sense that you can't go out, film all your stuff, and then decide how you're going to fix all the CGI stuff in post for a production that is finished months or weeks later. And what happens if you want to try and fix stuff that results in you having to go back and film other stuff after that? It makes a lot of sense in a, like, grand strategy kind of way to have the pre-visualization. But also when you're saying that the the, the Shang-Chi, uh, like, fight scenes seem pre uh like pre-choreographed i was thinking about that being the reason why you would have stuff being so pre-choreographed in fight scenes because his style his fighting stuff has like special cgi effects to it doesn't it uh, some of it yeah but because uh, most of it is just yeah straight martial arts fighting a lot of it is just 
maybe a green screen in the background to change the thing, but I think most of it is just stunt actors. And the guy that plays uh, Shang-Chi, I think his name is Simu Lu, he's a stuntman himself, so I can imagine there's a lot of the stunt work that he was doing himself. Hmm. So I, could, I, could, I might be wrong on this, I might be a lot of it the CGI just to kind of smooth things out, but I think most of it is just general stunt work. Yeah, but I think in order to have like the shot look the way you want it to, so you can add CGI to it on top of the fight, it would have to be pretty well planned out. So that's why I think yeah. it feels a bit more choreographed than, say, something like the Raid, where you can, um, like, if you watch the behind the scenes for that, they're like figuring out bits and pieces to the fight on the day, like having gone through it a few times as pre, like pre-production. They're mm-hmm. sitting there on the day, being like, okay, how would this work out? And they're tweaking and adjusting on the fly. Whereas I don't think you could have something like that in a or in a movie where you have to make a make a fight scene believable and also have an extra bit of like leeway so you can add stuff in uh, in post out on top of it because i've seen people do breakdowns of how the um the cgi is layered and composited into something like Zhang chi and it's it's interesting um yeah. like it's i'm not gonna actually watch those videos yet until i've seen the movie but mm-hmm. i do find it interesting that you can have people come in and break it down for you as to what's going on yeah. and it would probably be my guess is based around having a fist in the right place in the shot at the right time with the correct lighting around it to make things make sense for when you add stuff digitally at the end but that's why i think that the uh like why things feel more choreographed because you have to have that fist there at that right time so that everything yeah. looks correct yeah. uh, that is absolutely the point i think you've hit the nail on the head that they need to have you know the fist extending at a right at the exact time just so they can smooth things out I think, yeah, I can also say, now thinking back in the film, there probably was quite a lot more CGI than I think, because there are some moments where he's running faster than a human being normally would, and he's fighting by, you know, flipping and dipping all over the damn place. Human beings can't do that, and that was a brain fade on my my behalf. Yeah. I uh, Yeah, I, I have real weird, like, I, I find weird grievances with people's grievances on movies, and I don't know what it is. I'm like, just let it be a fucking movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I get I get shit like that all the time. I used to hang about with uh, some people that were just real fucking cinema snobs. Like, and the after watching Civil War, and you know how Civil War takes place in different locations, and in the sort of interstitial shots, it would be uh, if they're in Berlin, it would flash up the word Berlin in white letters on the screen. It's mm-hmm. like a transition shot. It would give you a nice shot of Berlin itself before they zoomed into where the characters. Really nice, really standard. Did nothing to, you know, raise the profile of the film, but, you know, didn't hurt it either. It's a standard, uh, we need to explain that you're in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. I went to see the film with someone, and after, or a group of people, and after that, they were like, ah, oh, that film was utter garbage. The, like, the title cards were just on the screen for too long. It just ruined the whole film. That ruined the film for you. How? How high strung are you that you're willing to let a word, <laughs> one word, ruin your film? Yeah, I, I the problem is I think um for a lot of people when it comes to people who get really serious about stuff, um there's certain like I think there's a certain stress having seen a certain number of uh movies or listened to a certain number of albums and a certain number of or like played a certain number of games that's why you see critics get really picky about what they actually enjoy. Whereas I think earlier in their career they're more accepting of things. And if you've watched a couple hundred thousand films and you've seen um documentaries on filmmaking and you understand history of yeah. film or whatever you can find um a lot of people get really 
really gritty on like I mean granular on details about cinema and oh, stuff like I, I completely the t- understand the that parts. but the person that we were talking the person I was talking about there this is I'm not making this up this is a genuine figure that he told me he only chooses to go and see 10 films a year okay that's that is either at the cinema or uh, films that he hasn't seen before like he will only choose 10 films for that year weird way of doing cinema i don't know why you're doing that <laughs> no yeah but i mean I, I, it completely confounds me but I, I you just you start reading into how um certain people think about cinema and the way especially filmmakers think about cinema and i always think that a lot of people who criticize film and cinema want to be filmmakers themselves um I, not everyone but i think there's a large people number of people who you know if you can't do uh teach and then if you can't teach criticize you know uh, yeah. And those people make uh, reviews and stuff and go into like intense film theory that has very little practical application and means nothing to Joe Public going out to just watch a movie because this is their day off or this is uh, the night where the, the grandparents are with the kids or whatever and they yeah. can go see a film with the missus and they just want to sit down, eat some popcorn, have a beer and watch the new Marvel movie. Marvel movie. Yeah. So yeah, I, I find that very frustrating to have to like balance that. The film critic side of the things and the I'm just a guy watching a fucking movie side of things. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you get into like the really weird, like really weird European directors are always hilarious. Um, there are people who have set rules on how to make film and it's like, mostly for like cinema verite, like the film as real life uh, style of filmmaking where it's like, if you if something is not in the shot, if it's not there in the natural habitat that you're filming your thing in, you can't add it. You can't go and, not like you can't add it digitally. It's you can't go out and buy something to bring it into the cinema or bring it into the shot to have it there. Mm. That's the level of just up your own ass they have. Because <laughs> it's yeah. not real if you had to go and add it there into the scene. I'm like, what, like a fucking director yeah. or a producer? <laughs> can't manufacture something. It has to be all real life. Like, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's... I got very tangential there. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. I, I like cinema. <laughs> yeah. I also don't like cunts. Yeah, that, I'm the I'm the same. Like, if a film's good, I'll say it's good. If it's not, I'll, I'll say it's not. I, I'm not one of those people. It's like yes, but if you really examined the the ethos and the you know the id behind Shang Chi, you understand that he's really just scared of snakes. <laughs> and frankly, that's a phallic metaphor. <laughs> exactly. So so gendered. So so uh, prehistoric, in my opinion. Frankly, passy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I find this whole thing to be gauche. I'm about to throw myself out the fucking window. <laughs> Just doing this impression is killing me. Yeah, I'm, I'm tearing chunks of my beard out. Uh, speaking of things that we won't tear our beards out about, uh, you, oh. this is actually an old note from like the first draft of when this episode was due to come out. But uh, we both got a chance to play in the Back for Blood beta. And yes, oh, fuck I, yeah, we did. you have a pop filter for this one, right? Because we're going to say back from Blood Beta a lot, and it's going to pop yeah, a lot. <laughs> okay, good. I don't want to just banging the word back for Blood Beta into the microphone and just having it like ruin the listener's ears. <laughs> just industry technique for you. If you don't have a pop filter, use a pencil, put it in front of your mouth, and it splits the airflow away, or use your finger, it splits the airflow. So if you don't have a pop filter, use your finger. Or put a sock on the microphone. I'm not joking. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've seen a lot worse than socks on microphones. My favorite one was someone said, "Take a like, um, pantyhose, and or tights, 
and put them over a like a, a coat hanger and hang that in front of the microphone because it's technically roughly the same thing not as good but it will do in a pinch <laughs> like, i just have to go out and buy women's pantyhose what could possibly go wrong <laughs> not gonna look weird at all yeah i ordered the the pop filters right away on amazon i'm not gonna lie after that yeah. one <laughs> but we did oh, this, this new microphone that i bought actually came with a pop filter i'm happy with that one. Ooh, high class that's yeah that's it only cost me 22 quid or something like that for this for this microphone so. <laughs> um so yeah back for blood bear yeah so this is the game from turtle rock studios who are former developers for the left for dead franchise which was made by valve back in the day and was a mainstay of anyone with an xbox d60 because it was a good fucking game yeah uh, so they did Ultimate replayability there was so much in this game that just it you had to buy it, like Colin said. You had to buy it if you had a, a 360. Or if you had an early PC, you had to get this game. And this was because it was one of the most fun zombie shooter games from back in the day. This was a game entirely dedicated around to you surviving a horde of zombies, going from point A to point B with your friends, and as many shotguns as you can carry. And, oh, yeah. yeah, it was to say, like such a huge game that uh, when the third, when the second one came out, equally successful um they did a lot of work in improving the kind of missions that you had to do it wasn't just go from point a to point b it was a bit of point a to point b but then do something at the end there was always a there's i felt like the, the bosses or the final end challenges were a lot better um or there was always a, a staged event for example in dark carnival there's a uh, from left 4 dead 2 there's a really fun segment where you have to run along a roller coaster uh while being chased by zombie hordes and being interrupted and partially like having the train track overrun by zombie hordes, the game development got a lot better. I'd say the the writing of levels got a lot better. So when it took years for them to even say, "Oh yeah, we're not doing number three, it was kind of a letdown. Yeah, definitely. It was. It goes back to the whole uh, Valve curse that they can't count to three because <laughs> we're just giving you a bit of timeline. You had Left 4 Dead One, genuinely groundbreaking game. There have been uh, multiplayer shooters before, but Team uh, Left 4 Dead just did something completely different. And then that's when Left 4 Dead 2, which people agree is the better game, and even got to the point where Valve remade essentially Left 4 Dead 1 using the Left 4 Dead 2 updates. And then you've got Half-Life 1 and 2 and the ongoing saga behind Left 4 Dead 3, uh, Half-Life 3. You've got Team Fortress 1 and 2. Valve can't count to 3. <laughs> and that's what's stopping them releasing the sequels to all those games, all those Valve games that people voted for a while. So, in a kind of Thanos tired of your shit type of move, Turtle Rock Studios said, fine, I'll do it myself. And Turtle, Turtle Rock Studios is made from the development team that made Left 4 Dead 1 and 2. Or some of the development team. Yeah, and they are now working under Warner Brothers, which I didn't know until you told me you needed a Warner Brothers account to join the beta, which uh, oh. I didn't very strange i got the beta code i was watching a twitch stream uh, by former source fed host trisha hersberger and i thought oh cool uh, back for bloods up i wonder when the beta's out and then i got the message you always get little twitch messages saying hey don't do this don't do that and it was like would you like to join the back for blood beta and i was like oh, fucking lovely i would <laughs> and uh it was you had to stay within the twitch stream for an hour and the twitch streamer stopped streaming at six at 58 minutes 30 seconds i have a minute and a half to go to get this fucking game i hunted through to try and find someone else that was streaming the game just to get 
uh, to get back for blood. Then it, as soon as I logged on, I was like, oh, to get a WB account. I think I already have one of those. Turns out I didn't. But it's probably not a bad thing that Warner Brothers are taking the lead on this one because Warner Brothers like to give DLC and they like to give upgrades. If You only have to look at um, Injustice 2 and Mortal Kombat because they get so many DLC characters. So you can tell that there's going to be continued support for this game. I think you needed a Warner Brothers account because it was Warner Brothers partnered or sponsored Twitch streams that you were watching to get you into the beta. Where yeah. I just logged onto Steam and found that there was like open beta access on the front page. So I, having a Steam account, got in. So I'm not entirely sure. I'm I'm assuming it was something to do with the fact that it was a sponsored stream by Trisha Herberger and whoever it was it was that was watching. Because you know they want to yeah, promote the betas so. out there. They want to get some data back from users so they want to get eyes on it and also it helps to have people in the Warner Brothers ecosystem for later on for that company and either way it was having played the game I would have done more than have to sign up sign my soul away to WB to play this game because the beauty of any Left 4 Dead type game is that the gameplay loop hooks you completely within the first couple of hours and Back for Blood did that within the first couple of games because in my opinion, Colin, you might differ on this, but Back for Blood kind of gave me everything that I was looking for from a Left 4 Dead 3. No, I think you're right. I, I, I look at it and you talk about the gameplay loop and yeah, that run and gun mechanic, like that you, the panic, the, the fear inducing like level design, like everything being about building stress and gradually getting more and more into each level is definitely there and it's very well executed. Um, I, I find it's a lot better than I'd say Left 4 Dead because I find, now going back, we did a lot of uh, Twitch streams with me, you and Jamie about just playing through Left 4 Dead 2 again, which mm-hmm. Left 4 Dead 2 was an improvement on Left 4 Dead 1 mechanically as well as in terms of gameplay, like the uh, the storyline. Um, I feel like this game is a further improvement by making the gunplay a lot faster. Um, I've had to crank my, my, like my, uh, my mouse sensitivity up on Left 4 Dead to try and get it to be as responsive and even half as good as it is in uh, Back 4 Blood because this is yeah. so finely tuned and so modern as far as a shooter goes uh, compared right. to like Left 4 Dead, which was of its time and feels a lot more aged now. Yeah, after I'm, I'm the same because after Back 4 Blood, after the beta finished for Back 4 Blood, I, I was kind of like, didn't want to stop playing. I wanted to play more. Yeah. And Alien... But Aliens Fireteam Elite, which is another in the kind of multiplayer, four-player shooters, was too far away. Like, I need more. And I went back to play Left 4 Dead 2, and I'm like, this just doesn't quite scratch that itch. I mean, it'll do, but yeah. playing back for, having played Back for Blood, you're like, this, this is not going to cut it anymore. I think the comparison that I always make between uh, the, the Valve games, because it's all built in the same engine for those guys. It's all the Valve Source engine. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying that. But the obviously they're using a totally new engine for this. It feels more like a Call of Duty or even a Destiny type game, but maybe not as uh, not as polished, I'd say, for Back for Blood. But when you go back to playing those Valve Source Engine games, there's a certain feel to the way the guns move and the way the screen moves and how you kind of operate in that world. And even playing on like Left 4 Dead, I'd say like when you play Left 4 Dead, I'd say Portal is a better shooting game, even though it's a game that has nothing to do with shooting than Left 4 Dead. 
and even though like Left 4 Dead designed from the ground up to be about you know using a shotgun liberally on zombies, yeah, and I I just find that the shooting mechanics are better, and having them come in and say okay we need to fix that first and then we build great gameplay loop around it like the intense uh, short burst firefights um, against hordes of zombies with special zombies littered throughout that was very like well designed and I feel like they had a good opportunity to just have. Um, I feel like I'm more scared of the special zombies in Back for Blood than I ever was in anything for Left for Dead. Yeah. Because when you see one of them, and you will see them, because they're huge. Um, yeah. I, I actually quite like that. I don't know what it was. I was thinking about just having normal size zombies and then spotting something much bigger appearing in the crowd and be like, oh shit, it's one of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Is this it the grabby different. one? Is this the smoky one? Is this the vomity one? Is it the exploding one? And then you realise that it's the exploding one. I think for me... When I realised that this game was going to be Left 4 Dead, but just finally tuned to the nth degree, was when you play the first level when you're making through the making your way through the train yard, mm-hmm. and the fucking ogre appears. Yes. At that point, you realise you ain't playing your daddy's Left 4 Dead no more. Because <laughs> that thing appears out of the ground. <laughs> or is it the, the yeah. second time it appears at the ground? Is it the first time it just stomps over the hill? And you're like, oh, shit. I think the fu- no, I think both times it just kind of shoves itself out of the ground. Yeah, it just kind of pulls itself out of the ground, and you realise that fair enough, it goes down quite easy. But there's that a moment that immediate panic of I don't have enough bullets to kill this thing. <laughs> I am holding a Glock and an MP5, and that thing is bigger than my house. I am so yeah. fucked. <laughs> I tell you, the first time I fought the ogre, I was playing as because. Yeah, Obviously, it being like Left 4 Dead, you can pick different characters, but it's not four characters that are all the same that you can pick from. It's just different skins. And Back for Blood, it is. I think there's a total of eight different characters, but you got to play five in the beta, and they all have different attributes. Like I'll pick two out of the out there. There is a Mum and Walker. Walker's ex-military, so he gets plus ten percent accuracy with every headshot that he gets. So whenever you get the headshots, he gets, you know, higher great accuracy. So there's always that incentive to get headshots. And there with mum, she starts off with a shotgun as a sidearm. So there's different abilities for different characters. And I was playing as a character called is it Emilio? I think I might have played no. Emilio as well. Yeah, Emilio, he starts off with a machete. And I didn't have enough time to go and get I didn't have enough money or what do they call it, bronze? Yeah, as the bronze. game's currency. I didn't have any bronze to go and get any weapons. I had to just fight this thing with a fucking machete. I died. <laughs> I, I, I died. I lucked. <laughs> I am... Um, there's a few things that worry me about this, and I know we're quite enthusiastic about this being a Warner Brothers thing for the long-term support that it gets. Yeah. I have some concerns about long-term micromanagement, like the kind of... Uh, not micromanagement, the uh, microtransaction side of things. I can see a lot of loopholes in ways that this game will be monetized after the fact, and I know that Warner Bros. has some pretty shitty practice uh, when it comes to these type of things, so I am um, I'm a bit concerned about what the game will be in the future. Right now, gameplay-wise, fantastic. Mm. 10 out of 10. Happy to pay the full price for it. But yeah. I don't want to be nickeled and down for the, the card system, where you can pick and choose different advantages, like percentage bonuses to headshots. Um, yeah. I always had a weapon on me at all times, uh, like for the like combat knife or whatever. Um, yeah, things like uh, extra ammo, extra, um, like more damage for your bullets, things like that. I could see that getting yeah. a bit annoying. 
Um, I think as long as a meta gets figured out pretty quickly, it should be pretty manageable for the, the fans to enjoy it without having to yeah. throw money at Warner Brothers uh, to fix all that. Because they did a little bit of that, that kind of nickel and diming in uh, the Shadow of War sequel. Um, oh yeah, but Shadow of War was the sequel to Shadow of Mordor. Uh, that Lord yep. of the Rings game from a couple of years back, which was, again, a fantastic mechanical game that got kind of fucking dicey towards the end. Yeah. Just because never, of Warner Brothers being like, oh, we can make a lot more money on the back end with yeah. microtransactions. I never played Shadow of War, but that was because Shadow of Mordor was pretty damn good, and then I heard that it was just ruined with microtransactions in the sequels. Man, because they, the shit, some of the shit you do in Shadow of War that actually looks like something I'd be interested in, but if if I can completely ruin the game just by paying for it, do that. I'd rather just play the game and earn shit. Yeah. Instead of having to pay three quid to get the best or to reduce your nemesis rating or something, whatever it is. Mm. I, uh, I, I could see it, I think. Like, it could be fine. It could be totally handled. Maybe Warner Bros. have finally learned a lesson um, from years of, like, fan backlash over great games being ruined um, by, you know, executive decisions. But I will wait and see. It's something I get very annoyed about that I, like, I can't believe people fell for that. And I'm about to fall for it right now. <laughs> yeah. Because if you've made a fun zombie shooting game and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, I noticed uh, the. I sent you a shot of this, actually. I was doing some uh, recording of my footage so I could just see what the, the game looked like afterwards. And I noticed I had a lot of screen tearing that I didn't notice in the. Uh, like, when I was playing. But you're, I've got a good shot of uh, one of the bots, mum, uh, actually staring out the window. And it's as I turn the camera, you can see the screen is split into thirds. And I'm hoping it gets optimized, hoping that it gets fixed yeah. in the back end. But uh, yeah, that was that was kind of scary because I couldn't fix it either. <laughs> I actually made it worse when I went to try and fix it. So hopefully, there's obviously, it's, it's just an open beta. There should be some tweaks and some stuff yeah. getting fixed. I suspect that's more to do with the. Um, uh, like the NVIDIA stuff not being ready for the graphics card, I don't think they've fully sent it out to be f***ed. I think that it will improve in terms of gameplay, like the way it looks. Um, but otherwise, it was a lot of fun to play through a beta. Not actually big into playing in betas for games, but I think uh, as I was already interested in this game, I think it'll be a good... Uh, it was a good opportunity to get my hands on it earlier. Yeah, I think that was... I think for me it was... Kind of along the same lines. I wanted to get into this game because I knew it was a, it was something that I was going to come back to for a long time because it's Left 4 Dead. It was something I was going to keep playing. If it was as good as Left 4 Dead, I was going to keep going back to it as well. So that's why I was quite keen to get into the beta. And I wasn't, I was not disappointed in terms of uh, the the gameplay or the, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? The standards of the game were all fine. Where my grievances came from were dickhead players. <laughs> uh, there's there's an unspoken rule in Left 4 Dead type games where if one player falls, unless it's physically impossible to get them back, you go and pick them up. Yeah, I got gunned down essentially by one of my players because it would have been a waste of time to heal me. <laughs> Dude, you have there's a I know for a fact if we go into that boat, there's a med cabinet. That you can heal me with, or I can get to it if you bring me back up. Just get me up and just nah, man, not worth it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've actually had a situation in the beta where I was picking people up, and the other guy was trying to run ahead. He was desperate to get off the the bridge, but there was one guy who was just a bit behind, 
get hit a few times, dropped. But okay, we've still got time to get him. And I will pick him up as one of those big like special zombies just marching towards me slowly and it's just a race against time to watch the like the, the pickup animation finish so I can run away <laughs> and get out of cover. But you do that. You you're there to support your team because if you're yeah. not there to support them, they won't support you and everyone gets fucked in the end. It's the two players that I can't stand in these type of games. It's the I know what to do, follow me and we'll be okay. Those players always get their ass kicked immediately. <laughs> or, Don't worry guys, I got this. Runs around the corner gets fucked immediately. <laughs> yeah. Runs around the corner and gets gunned down by uh, like one of the smoker uh, enemies. I can't remember what other enemy types are called, but it gets gunned down by a special immediately. Or there's the fucking Leroy that just go I know where to go. I'll run ahead. You find them down, getting pummeled by every single common and special infected that the game has to throw. <laughs> You're looking at it going, I can't, I shouldn't throw a grenade at you, buddy. What I'm oh, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too many points. I can't give it up. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was that guy at one point during the beta because I just found my, uh, my flow. I got uh, my hands... I normally play um, machine guns, uh, like assault rifles, stuff like that, very fast fire rates. Um, but I found a Super 90 shotgun, which fires as fast as you click the fire button. And yeah. which is kind of oh, rare for shotguns. Shotgun. Um, but so good. I, I, ran. So I ran. I went through the uh, the boat at the end of the same mission we were talking about. I went yeah. through that boat at 90 miles an hour. <laughs> Not even aiming. Just click, bang, click, bang, click, yeah. bang, and just wasting everything in the way. It was amazing. <laughs> My setup and I tried to get this every single time I played the game. I had a deagle with a scope, a, a dot sight ACOG scope, mm-hmm. and I had a scar with a silencer on it so that the range was, was higher. Or if I couldn't get the scar, I would go with the Super 90 with the scope on it because then you could snipe with a fucking shotgun. <laughs> and I would try and get that set up every time I played because I had, I'd set it up that I had the my... The bash attack where you punch, that was a knife. And if I knifed you, I would heal uh, five hit points. I had that set up at one point as well, and it gets bloody fast. <laughs> yeah. It's a good you're just though. Stabbing good all these one. things in the head. Um, I did actually, uh, I have very similar set- setups. Um, I just carry more ammo, I think, just because I, I don't like the idea of running out of ammo. And I, also, I'm using Glock uh, pistols <laughs> at yeah. full auto, which means the ammo is gone before you realize it. Um, well, I I remember using the Beretta. Did you ever try using the the burst fire Beretta? I used the single fire and it was fine. I didn't try the burst fire. What happens there? The burst fire oozed through your ammo like you won't even believe. Like, I had full pistol ammo. I went through about maybe a horde and a half. All of it gone. Literally hmm. all of it gone. <laughs> I just chewed through your ammunition. That's an odd one. Hmm. But um, yeah, I I had a few moments of just like absolute glee with it but there's a lot of good panic in there i think with the, the yeah. balance right i will say i thought it was a bit i thought the game was a bit easy i was playing it on normal i think i'll have to play it on hard oh i cranked it up to hard i had that uh i had that initial kind of the game seems quite simple fair enough the the easy uh not the easy the infected can get on top of you but if you've got a good player if you've got a good set of players and you've got a good knowledge of where you need to go you can kind of circumvent that so i cranked it up to whatever the equivalent to hard mode is, it might just be hard mode, and that's where you get the fun of the game, because uh, regular or special infected become a challenge that don't just take one well-played shot to kill. You need to manage your uh, 
your team a bit better and you need to manage your ammunition a bit better. Yeah. And I can tell that with a uh, a good team, you can easily waste an entire day playing this game. I think we need to get some kind of band and get us all together and we just go through the entire campaign. Because I think it'd be a yeah. lot of fun. And it'll be good to have someone on mic I can talk to rather than just like moaning to myself, how do they not know what a choke point is? Seriously. Horde semi horde horde fighting one oh one. Choke them all together through a single door and keep putting bullets in that door. <laughs> just keep hitting M one while they're filtering through this one door. Anytime you see them all just kinda of bunched together, grenade. <laughs> I had I had the stereotypical nerd like you know the one that's that you usually find in video games. It's like, oh guys, trust me, I've played this before. What you want to do is you want to follow me because I'm only, you know, 12, but uh, I've played this game to the green. And this guy's like, kept saying, listen, kid, like you've clearly not played this game as much as me. Just follow me. And then I thought, right, I am not having this. I jumped on mic and I said, listen, wee man. <laughs> and I gave him the fright of his life. <laughs> like, listen, wee man. I played this game before. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I really hate that I play some games and all the tutorials are done by 12 year olds and you're like oh no I can't listen to him I can't do it I, I wanted to be devoid of ego I want to be open to le- all the life lessons that I can get my hands on but not from a fucking 12 year old <laughs> oh, sorry kid not happy what makes it worse is that the one of the people that one of the teams that I was playing in the guy who was continually showing up on mic was an Xbox One player and he was a an Indian kid from down in England, so he just kept calling me blood, like just blood. Like you need, you just you need to get on my level, blood. You're, <laughs> you're lagging behind. I'm gonna find where this kid is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hurt the kid. I'm just gonna break his Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is painful right now. Okay, <laughs> you can't go around joking about breaking people's Xboxes. They don't make them anymore. <laughs> if I had a Series X, I'd steal it, but. <laughs> If he has an Xbox One or an Xbox One X, is getting destroyed because he needs to learn how to handle real power before he goes on it. <laughs> I actually I saw something the other day that was heartbreaking. Um, that the PS Five shortages may continue to twenty twenty three, and I'm like, oh no, here we go. Because it inevitably is going to be that they will uh kind of lower quality of production to try and get more out there. Like they'll miss, they'll take it a fan or something like that. They'll do something to try and make it easier to produce because it's about that yeah. time we get the easier to produce versions a bit faster. And I think it's going to cause some problems. But like, Xbox probably the same thing, not just Sony issue. I actually seen a, a Series X in the flesh, so to speak, Ooh. when I was up in Falkirk. But am I fuck paying six hundred and fifteen quid for a three hundred and fifty quid console? Yeah, is it three fifty? Might might not even be that expensive. Um, I feel like it should be. I can't remember because we had a lot of speculation about that at the time. I've never completely forgotten to check prices for an Xbox. But yeah, they've just been bumping prices up because why not? Really, there's definitely a demand for it. They keep selling it instantly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a CEX price hiking thing. Ah, right, CEX. Yeah, they'll they'll do it. They please. Well, actually, I did find the MS uh, MSRP for the uh, Xbox One Series X. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is supposed to be four hundred and forty nine pounds, which makes that yeah. the biggest lie since the Brexit bus, because <laughs> I have not seen one of those cost that much in about two years. The launch, so yeah. Although an Xbox Series S is two forty nine, which is kind of very very affordable. 
Although I will say the price of a Wii, uh, or sorry, a Wii, a Switch, is damn temp. Yeah. Given the amount of shit that you can buy on a Switch now, it's a good time to pick one up, but at the same time, it is riddled with performance issues because people don't know how to make games for the Switch yet. Yeah. Every port of a game that has come out on the Switch is uh, riddled with bugs. I mean, look at the new uh, Sonic Colors port. Nigh unplayable on the Switch. What I've heard. I did see some uh, criticism coming through of the, the Sonic Colors port. But uh, I, I wonder if that's down to the game itself. I don't think it's down to Switch hardware. Yeah, maybe. I think if you design in the limits of a Switch, you can get a good game. I mean, uh, that Zelda, that Zelda game? Uh, what was the Breath last of the Wild. One? Breath of the Wild, yeah. I mean, that is impressive. It's not as chaotic and maybe fast-paced as a Sonic game. Nothing really is. But um, yeah. I, I think you could, if you work within your... When you go to leave, <laughs> you get a pop-up saying, before you leave, would you like to sign up for a newsletter? No, you didn't have the information I wanted the first time. What could be, <laughs> it's going to be there the second time. Why would I give you your business when you didn't have what I wanted? So four hundred and fifty quid for an Xbox, allegedly. <laughs> ah, right. Oh, um, one thing I don't think we mentioned, um, was Stony had a Sony had a state of play, not Stony, just Stony. <laughs> Post Malone's feature album. <laughs> um, yeah, Stony did have a state of play, and they came out swinging. Yeah, they got, came out God of War swinging for the fences. I wonder, because I, I didn't play the original God of War. Uh, God of Boy. Because <laughs> I'm going to make a joke God. about the boy from God of War. God of Boy. <laughs> I have turned dumb. <laughs> it is hit 9.35 here, kids, and Daddy's brain is not working. <laughs> so, yeah, God of War Ragnarok. We'll see the return of Boy. Uh, Horizon, uh, Forbidden West. Very tempting. Uh, I, I played the first one, and it was enjoyable. But I got bored very quickly because it was just, we need the thing. Go and get the thing. You've got the thing. We need another thing. Like, can you just tell me what it is so I don't have to keep bouncing back and forth between these locations? And that's how it is for most of the game. Yeah. M- my brother said that the, the, the story itself wasn't that good. But when you got into the world exploration and the challenges part, he said it yeah. was the happiest he'd ever been to, like, platinum or 100% a game because it was so much fun to go and actually do those tasks to go and hunt and adventure and explore in the world like once you're done with the main storyline go have fun which is kind of i feel like that's the way that most open world games should be designed that you you deal with the story or like the story makes you naturally explore part of the world but then there's an extra part outside of the main map that you can go and find out like there's all these little side streets you know like if you were going to a town on business you go to that town, go do whatever business it is, go to your hotel, like you, you go your essential route, and then when it comes to the evening, just go have fun. Go find a bar, go find a good pizza play, you know, let's go yeah. explore. I feel like that's the way an open world game should be designed. You have the business trip and then you have the party at the end. But so yeah, if they're doing more of that, I I love the concept of yeah. humanity's blasted back to the Stone Age, still using a little bit of technology and using it to fight robot dinosaurs. Like fuck yes. Yeah. I mean, the setting of the game is pretty cool, but it's just for me the the combat and the world explore world explore, exploration weren't enough to keep me going through a game that was fairly dry. I mean, I might pick it up. I might try and play it through on a PS Five if I'm ever lucky enough to get one. But I don't know. It would have to be something that would maybe be discounted for me to pick it up because 
despite people saying, oh, you'll love that, you love Breath of the Wild, didn't you? It didn't grab me as quickly as Breath of the Wild did. Yeah, you, you got to understand that Nintendo has a very certain style, and if it's for you, it's for you. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something a lot of people try and imitate, but you can even come close. Um, the other one as but, well, Gran Turismo 7. Make yeah. the cars go vroom vroom. Me likey. <laughs> it, of all the things that they announced, uh, there was three announcements in particular that, that made my orbs fizz. Uh, they, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about Spider-Man 2 because of the Marvel announcement, that wasn't the big one to me. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is picking up after Miles Morales. You'll be able to play as both Spider-Man, Miles Morales and Peter Parker. And judging by the voiceover, uh, Craven the Hunter is probably going to be the main bad guy. Interesting. Alongside Venom. Voiced by Candyman himself, Tony Todd. And I am all in for it. That makes me hard. <laughs> yeah. Shamelessly, bro. <laughs> I mean, Craven the Hunter. Okay, that's pretty cool. I mean, if they have a like, if they give him the option to have like the uh, the original like Spider Man animated series where he's got like the yellow jacket, like he's, yeah. he's dressed like Crocodile Dundee going through like the biggest drag phase of his life. Yeah. <laughs> dress him like that, and I'm all game for it. Like even just to have it as an option, like you put on the silly costumes, cut option yeah. option for cutscenes. I'm up for that. Yeah. But Tony Todd as Venom. Oh. It's shameless, absolutely shameless. How much I'd be in for that. <laughs> um, yeah, and the fact that I think you're going to be able to switch between Peter and Miles, yeah, it's going to make the game all the more worth it. Yeah, I want to know how they're going to handle that. Like, are they both going to be active and out there in the same world at the same time, or can you just change character? Like, so you could just be Miles Morales or uh, Peter Parker going through that storyline. I think what it'll be is uh, you'll probably. Play start the game as Peter, then you'll play a bit as Miles, bit as Peter, bit as Miles, bit as Peter. Then there'll be missions where you have to, you know, kind of divide and conquer. Right. Let's say there's shit going down in, you know, the east side of the island. Miles goes to that. Then the south side of the island, Peter will go to that. And they'll kind of, you know, well, my side, my uh, Peter side's done. Miles clean up that shit. Hmm. Because I was, I kind of like the uh, weird way of looking at it. But Grand Theft Auto Five had a really good system where like all three characters were active and out there in the world at any given time, so you could randomly switch whenever you wanted to, and you'd find characters doing random shit. Like Trevor would yeah. be drunk half the time, like you just randomly switch. Oh, I need to go to Trevor, and you'd like find him standing in a field, drunkenly staring at a scarecrow, <laughs> calling yeah. it a cunt, and you're like, "Ah, uh, I'm gonna come back to him later. <laughs> He's working through some shit." <laughs> But I like cool it. If they did it like that, where you just had complete free choice Peter and Miles' story. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I think I'd quite like to see that I'd miss something. Like you just find Miles Morales like wiping his hands and going, "There you go, boys," and like handing over a bunch of criminals to the police. But what did I miss? What What did he do? Yeah. <laughs> Why does he have XP now that he didn't have before? He <laughs> <laughs> just come back and he's leveled up twice. Like, oh my god, what happened? <laughs> I'd, I'd like that, but obviously it's it, it could go either way. I personally think you're right that you could. It'll be story driven that you'll do like a segment as Peter, then as Miles, then back and forth. Yeah. Because did they not do that with uh, the first game? And you would they, play as Mary Jane. Yeah, they they did for a bit, and that, in my opinion, was the weakest part of the game because you you go through these really really fun web swinging and uh, battle segments with Peter, and there'd be a bit of investigation. 
when you were playing as Peter going through, say, a lab or something like that, and you pick up individual sort of clues and things, kind of like Batman Arkham-esque, where you'd have to reconstruct the crime scene, then the game would slow right down, <laughs> and you'd play as Miles, who had to use his tablet to hack into things, and then you'd play as Mary Jane, and the game would slow down even further, because then it became a stealth section, where she had to take photos, and it just... <sighs> It was a bit. I get why they did it. They slowed down the gameplay and show you different aspects and this kind of supporting cast as uh, Spider Man, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But now we switch between two Spider Men. It can't yeah, really go can wrong. Cool. Or we get two Spider Men and still Mary Jane, who's still like, no, I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> no, no you got to be Spider Man. Shut the fuck up and get in my game. <laughs> yeah, plus, it's going to be hard to do stealth segments with Mary Jane when you've got Miles, who one of his main powers is he can turn invisible. Your option, the, the gameplay segment as Mary Jane should just be to phone up Miles. Hey, invisible guy. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah, a I job, got a job for, you. for you. That's so stupid. Like, I can't, I, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know that. And now I'm just laughing at the fact that you're just like, okay, we have a, we have a stealth segment. Who are we going to use? Are we going to use Mary Jane, who has not really had much of an action role in any of the franchise so far? <laughs> yeah. Or are we going to use the guy who turns invisible? And they just turned to Mary Jane and said, her. <laughs> Here's a camera. <laughs> Go do things. Yeah. Uh, it, if they do that in Spider-Man 2, it's going to be stupid, because I get where they did it in the first Spider-Man. Miles didn't have his powers by then. Yeah. You had them at the end of the game, but you didn't have them when you play as Mary Jane. But if they give you the stealth sections as MJ, still, it's... Oh, it's, it's it, I, I don't like using that word, but it's... It <laughs> there are a few words left word. in the English language that do explain that situation. And that, but yeah, um, you said that the, the Marvel... Uh, this was the, the lesser Marvel option. Which yeah. is impressive, given that uh, Spider-Man, the last video game, was one of the biggest hits for the PlayStation as oh, a yeah. whole. It, it make no mistake, I am very, very much looking forward to Spider-Man 2. Uh, Spider-Man 1 was genuinely one of the best superhero games I've ever played. It, I mean, just for personal reasons, it doesn't quite come close to the Arkham games for me, but that's because it's Batman. Literally, the only difference is the characters between the two. Spider-Man's a 9.0 Batman Arkham is a 9.5 that's the only difference is the characters but uh, Spider-Man was genuinely one of the reasons I was glad I have a PS4 but one of the reasons I'm going to be hunting down a PS5 is because Insomniac, the same studio that makes Spider-Man are giving us a Wolverine game I had heard this from somebody at work who was so excited I was like okay, I'm pretty optimistic about that i like the sound of that especially insomniac they, they've handled yeah. this type of uh this type of property before they definitely made it work um so yeah i mean if they want to do wolverine i'm all the whole game for that really yeah i missed the state of play i didn't catch it live so i was watching on my phone on the train in uni and literally i was sitting there uh watching it on my phone in landscape mode, burning through data to watch it in 4K. Uh, and uh, the guy who checked my ticket just kind of leaned over and went, oh, where are you going? So I said, holy shit, is that a Wolverine game? Like, <laughs> Bro, they're doing it. <laughs> I just kind of felt if they get the right the right villains and they make it rated R, they make it gory and bloody, and they get the right voice actors in, Wolverine could easily top Spider-Man in terms of you know Marvel games and my expectations. And if we don't have a quick time event to take down a helicopter, please. <laughs> yeah, 
that was bad. That was dumb. You did a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I vaguely remember that Xbox 360 uh, Wolverine game when it came out. <laughs> I remember it being good up until the quick time events that you needed reflexes of a cat on heroin to get. Heroin slows you down. Oh, what's, that? what's the one that speeds you up? Cocaine. Meth. Cocaine, okay, yeah. A cat on meth. Mongoose on meth. There you go. Yeah. A tortoise on meth. <laughs> this analogy got away from me. <laughs> tortoise on meth. Just really excited to go absolutely fucking nowhere. <laughs> Just screaming, <And> yeah. Go! <laughs> As it thumbs its way across the fucking... <laughs> across the grassy plane. Just, Yeah! <laughs> He thinks he's going fast, and that's the main thing. He's, he's terrified. He's like, well, we got to slow things down. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you got to move faster than this forever. <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, if if we can get a good Wolverine game, if we get the tone right, if um, I mean, the problem is that the Wolverine thing isn't Wolverine as a character is now eternally tied to Hugh Jack, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Jackman. Yeah. I'm now imagining Michael Jackson as Wolverine, and it's fantastic. <laughs> a time where he might have even been considered to be Wolverine. I love hearing about alternative castings, you know, like, why? <laughs> well, apparently, he, uh, Michael Jackson, this is genuinely true. Well, it's, some of it might, I might be misremembering, but I remember a huge celebrity bought the rights to Spider-Man, going to make a Spider-Man film with himself in the lead role, and I think it might be Michael Jackson. I think I he loved Spider-Man too. so much. No, my current, uh, like, almost happened fake casting was Nicolas Cage as Aragorn. You Dude, can't... That would be amazing. I, you do not know how much I'd pay to see that. <laughs> like, it's like Nicolas Cage as Superman. I still want to see that happen. That'd be... That's the thing, like, we want to see it because it's going to be so... Like, SNL can make this happen. They can give us the five minutes we actually want to see at this franchise where it's just Nicolas Cage freaking the fuck out in a Superman costume. That's yeah. all we really... We don't actually want to watch the movie. SNL, comedy skit writers, just anyone with a decent YouTube channel. You could make this happen quite reasonably. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen what Nicolas Cage has been working on recently, but he'll do a lot for money. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been downhill since Season of the Witch, let's be honest. Wicker Man was a high watermark. If you, <laughs> Although some people said that uh, Pig is very good. Uh, he was in a horror film called Mandy, which was just spectacular. <laughs> There was a, I keep meaning to watch this movie with my brothers, and it's uh, him basically doing Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh. But they couldn't yeah, get the rights to Five Nights at Freddy's, about. but it's like Willy's Wonderland, I think. Yeah. 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 And I've, I've been wanting to see that for a while. It's I, I keep meaning to find where it is to watch it with him, but I, it's, it looks bad. <laughs> and everyone. Yeah, else... it, no, it's just saying, yeah, I've, from what I've seen, it looks awful, but it's Nicolas Cage awful, so it's going to be worth watching. I think if there's anything else, I, the other weird castings that I heard, because there was a lot of like, as soon as somebody like posted that on Reddit for the, the Nicolas Cage uh, um, casting of Aragorn, people started doing their own like bad casting for uh, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings movies, and there were some absolute fucking belters out there. <laughs> uh, my favorite being uh, Mark Wahlberg as Boromir, and I'm like, that would be so That's... fucking horrible. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Whenever it comes to almost casting, my my two favorites were almost uh, Jack Black as uh, Green Lantern instead of Ryan Reynolds and uh, Danny DeVito as Wolverine when they were going to make an X Men film in the early nineties. 
there was actually one of uh, one of those fake castings was actually Danny DeVito, and uh, it was Danny DeVito as Bilbo. Hmm. Are you telling me you're not a little bit curious to see how that turns out? <laughs> I'm not a little bit curious. I'm very curious. <laughs> I'm morbidly curious. Um. So yeah, I. <laughs> so anyway, I get to Mount Doom and I just start blasting. <laughs> <laughs> I just start eating. I just start throwing all of it. I, I found the uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, Reddit meme. You imagine, if, you imagine if you recreated that scene from it's all a sudden in Philadelphia, Gollum trying to claw his way out of the fire, and he's sitting there with the broom going, "No, you don't." <laughs> <laughs> it's just him with the broom. <laughs> oh, I love all this, Sunny. <laughs> I found the, uh, the the Lord of the Rings meme community online. Just uh, LOTR memes on Reddit is just fan fucking fantastic. There's just a constant wave of just out of context quotes. <laughs> My favorite being the. Uh, just it was an old Tumblr post that somebody made saying, "Hey, remember when Gollum told Sam to give it to him raw?" <laughs> <You're> like, no. <laughs> My favorite response: You put that quote back in context right fucking now. <laughs> I like the idea of someone threatening someone over the internet through a Lord, over a Lord of the Rings quote. <laughs> oh. but yeah. It's... So I mean, we were talking about Sony at one point. Um, yeah, we were. Yeah, uh, but there isn't really that much more to go over. I mean, they're yeah. they're going for the obvious choices. I'd say Wolverine's a big one, um, yeah. because they haven't touched that in a while when it comes to video games. Spider Man is an obvious choice, because uh, I said to the friend who was telling me about the, the Sony conference, um, I said you got to understand, the only thing people know about Sony right now is that they have the Spider Man IP, and they're going to keep milking that until it fucking dies, both in films yeah. and video games, because it's making money. Yeah, which which kind of leads me on to a sad point about Spider Man that we'll suppose we'll talk about a bit at the end when we, because I want to talk about the uh, No Way Home trailer because that is, I've got some. Oh concern. yeah, we missed that. Let's. I, I'm ready yeah. to go to that if you want to go. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember what else they announced during the state of play because. But fuck it, yeah, we got the main ones. We, there's a Wolverine game coming, and there's Spider Man too. That's that's enough. What more do you fucking need, greedy <laughs> bastard? Uh, but. Uh, as Colin said, yeah, we got uh, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer after so long of waiting for it. And internet time, apparently it feels like a decade since this movie been announced, but it's been about a year and a half since we've not had a trailer. And now three months out from the film, I'm now worried that they've put too much in. Because they've announced that uh, Peter, leading on from the last film, has went to see Doctor Strange to try and reset his own personal timeline. And it's somehow splintered reality, and that's caused villains from all over Spider-Man's uh, past movies and things like that to bleed into his universe. And I get that they're trying to set up some kind of Sinister Six, but I kind of feel that that's maybe a bit too much. And frankly, too for... late. Hmm? And frankly, a bit too late. I, I feel like it, if you were going to do Sinister Six, it should have happened like a couple of movies ago. And you could put a few of them in as individual villains to headline those yeah. movies. But the fact that you're bringing back um, the original Doc Ock and you're bringing back Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, or at least we're yeah. bringing back his laugh, um, yeah. I'd say you're a bit too late on that one. And it leads to me to my theory on the movie in general, but on you go. It, I just think, I, I get a bit worried whenever they try and do you know, the multiple villains, because fair enough, it, it works. In some films where they've got the one, or they've got more than one villain because it worked in. Actually, no, I'm struggling to think of a Marvel film. A <laughs> they really Marvel haven't film made that work. Have they? 
with the exception no, of Thanos, where it's like, okay, he has underlings that we don't really remember yeah. the names of. They haven't yeah, really done that. Even there's still one central villain. And my my worry about No Way Home is that, like you said, you've got Electro, got uh, you've got Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro. You've got uh, apparently I didn't the know they were doing that one as well. Hmm? I didn't know they were doing that as well. I didn't know they were bringing back Jamie Foxx. Good that he's coming yeah. back. They they confer- that was what Alfred Molina as Doc Ock and Jamie Foxx as Electro were two of the first uh, confirmed because it had been leaked and I think Sony just said okay he can make it official now. Uh, obviously Willem Dafoe or at least his laugh or is coming back as Green Goblin. Uh, apparently they're doing uh, I think they're doing a new Sandman because the original actor didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, the Lizard because apparently someone's seen him in the trailer may or may not be played by Reese fans again. All right. And uh, there's another because that's only five there's a potential sixth which a lot of people think it may be Chameleon which is where <laughs> the whole Doctor Strange thing comes in or again people are thinking Doctor Strange is going to be Mephisto and even just having Doctor Strange be in the film there's too many ingredients in this one film that I think is going to cause a lot of problems but most importantly the biggest recurring character J.K. motherfucking Simmons is back as J. Jonah Jameson. Hell yes! That's all we need. That's all we need. Absolutely ready for that one. It's um, been a while since he was in that role, but I think it'll be funny to have him. And especially now that he's the Alex Jones version of of, uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Because you can't can't look at his desk and think that that's not a bit (laughs) Infowarsy. Are they are they doing that line of just kind of like him being a paranoid, uh, like government conspiracy type guy, or is oh, that? Yeah. I know they did it in the video games, uh, for the last one. Yeah. I know he has a podcast now. He's he's moved on from publishing too mainstream, too corrupt. So now he's here to tell yeah. the real truth through a podcast. Yeah, they, they did no. They did no great job of hiding it in a, Spider Man Far From Home, that he is the Daily Bugle as an online production. That just spews out, you know, J. Jonah Jameson's weird theories about Spider Man. I know that Spider Man's been officially charged with killing Mysterio in the previous or from the previous film. He's just going the whole hog and like Spider Man is a goddamn menace, like all that shit. And yeah, it's if I could find the the post credit scene from Far From Home, where if you look up the post credit scene from Far From Home, it's it's very much influenced by Alex Jones and his tinfoil hat shit. <laughs> Which I'm all for, because, I mean, if you give you know, J.K. Simmons that range or that role, uh, he could absolutely crush it. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I look forward to that. I want to see him just go into it, and just knowing full well, like, what we can get away with now, with parodying Alex Jones, how far we can take it, I want to see how far they let him just run. I hope he gets to, yeah. like, improvise stuff. I hope he doesn't get scripted stuff. I hope he yeah. just gets to tirade and just go absolutely off the deep end, and everybody goes, yeah, it was a very good performance, very in character. <laughs> <laughs> Can imagine him though. They'll probably just let J.K. Simmons be J.K. Simmons. It's just you go whole hog, dog. <laughs> Do you? So, can I share my theory on this film? Because I I looked at it and I saw the the awesome visual of that train spinning around. Yeah. Basically derailing itself and then spiraling through the thing, but then leaving imprints of itself in the sky. Yeah. And I think, based on I would say, like, the way the, the Avengers relationship worked, um, now that Tony Stark is gone, 
I see, although like Doctor Strange has a like a cheeky side to him, he has a bit of that kind of uh, daring adventurous like swagger to him. I think he is now supposed to be more of a father role, and I think he is trying to teach Spider Man a lesson, and that all of this is fake. I think uh. it's going to be a whole thing of I will put you in a simulation because the idea that Doctor Strange is going to have gone through everything he's gone through with bending reality seen it come back to bite him in the ass or know that things can't be changed uh, we can actually talk about the What If series because uh, I watched oh, yeah, that episode, yeah. we can talk about that later on but I think having seen everything that uh, Doctor Strange has gone through to like t- tweak stuff with the, uh, the space-time continuum have it backfire on him every single time is he really going to let Spider-Man walk up and go, hey, Doc, I need a favor. Like, I, I fucked up. Can you, re- can you rework space-time for me? I think he, Doc, or Doc Strange is going to be like, yeah, sure, Peter, I'll make that happen for you. Put him in a fake simulation, let everything go to complete shit, and at the end he's going to step in and say, okay, this is why we don't mess with the space-time continuum, you fucking child. <laughs> <laughs> Things are the way they are, and they cannot change. Things have happened, there are consequences. Deal with it. I think that yeah. is going to be the, the overarching thing of there's a lot of um, the Spider-Man story right now is regret because yeah. big things have happened. We've lost Iron Man. He'd be, he's lost his mentor. He's uh, fucked up by coming up publicly and being Spider-Man or being identified as Spider-Man. And yeah, there are consequences, but I think it's a, I think it's a better movie if you let it happen and then have someone step in the end and say, okay, have you learned your lesson yet? Get- I mean, that's a good deal. I, I kind of hope they, they go with something similar to that because I'm sick of the whole, did you see the wink? Did you see the wink that Doctor Strange gives to Peter? That clearly means that he's Mephisto. If they're going to show Mephisto, <laughs> it's going to be in Doctor Strange's solo movie, not right now. <laughs> you you can't introduce... Maybe you could introduce something that big as a, as a little side thing of like, here's Mephisto, here's what he does, here's how he fucks people, and here's that happening to another character in under the reputation of Doctor Strange to show him being like, basically fooled and to give Doctor Strange a reason to come back and fight Mephisto. Does that make sense? Like you could yes, yeah. you could set it up as being like, oh he did it and he ruined your reputation at the same time with one of his I mean, I'd say Spider Man and Doctor Strange are pretty friendly. I mean there's kind of an annoying older brother and a younger brother dynamic there. But they're yeah. they're friendly. So I'd say that you could have that and then have uh Doctor Strange step in to be vengeful in a way and give him yeah. a reason to hunt down Mephisto. For his movie, it could be. But I just like all the rumors that you're seeing with uh, the different Spider-Man being brought into the the latest Spider-Man film. The same with Mephisto. It's or it is the same with Mephisto as well. Should I say? I just want the rumors to stop because rumors are just, particularly in the Marvel universe, are pissing me off right now because No Way Home is becoming the most uh, talked about film in terms of. This might happen, that might happen. For example, there's the, uh, what's his name? Andrew Garfield's going to come back. It's his version of Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire's going to come back. It's his version of Spider-Man. They're going to bring We're the Spider-Verse get... characters in. We're getting Nicholas Cage's yeah. noir Spider-Man, and then the ham Spider-Man, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guys... shit like that. And then it's, they've also got rumours going like uh, Charlie Cox is going to come back as Daredevil. They're going to introduce uh, Jennifer Waters as She-Hulk. They're going to bring in all these different fucking characters. And you just... <laughs> Like guys, it has a limited. <laughs> it has a limited runtime. There's only so yeah. much we can physically fit in there. The film can only be about two and a half hours long, because your average Marvel films are about two and a half to 
two and a quarter, two and three quarter hours. It's yeah. never that going to be that long. And John Favreau needs to have at least three scenes where he's saying he's saying he seems awesome, <laughs> but he's just yeah. kind of weird and annoying and greasy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you need you need to give John Favreau a break because you know there's only so much Marvel work he can do when he's been prodded and poked by Disney to go and make more Star Wars. Just more Mando, more Mando. I, I, we'll wait and see. As with everything, yeah. Like I, I, I'm not sure where I am with uh, Marvel right now. I kind of want. I want to see more out of them to know whether or not I'm continuing beyond uh, Infinity War and Endgame, because if I just left it there, I've seen 30 good movies with a fantastic finale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If if we want to call it time there, I'm fine. Um, But yeah, I, I want to see what the, the end goal, or I want to see what the, the next stage of this looks like. I think for me, I'm in the same boat. If, you, if I left it at, uh, Far From Home, because that's the final film in phase three or the infinity saga as they called it i'd be you'd get a fantastic film get an absolutely fantastic film series and uh i'd be quite keen or be quite happy just to see right put a pin in that let's move on to the next big thing but for the simple reason of wanting to see my favorite or one of my favorite marvel characters nova be brought to life in a live action film or tv show i'm going to keep watching just because it's good i like it Fair enough, it's getting a bit kind of formulaic now, but there's going to be films that are going to mix things up. So I think I'm in this for the long haul. And if they keep putting out shit like What If and WandaVision and uh, almost, I keep wanting to say Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it's not <laughs> Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, if they keep putting shit like that, I'm going to keep tuning in. Although we'll say I did just Google uh, Nova. And that yeah. actually looks like a fun superhero, especially if you can fly around and do shit. <laughs> yeah, he's basically just Marvel's Green Lantern, but much cooler. Yeah, because it looks like Judge Dredd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, helm- and anything that looks like Judge Dredd is cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I, um, actually, I think we should just move on to the What If series. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. We're talking Marvel, this might was, as well go with this. Yeah. This was something that I, I told you. I told you about what, what was your was your thoughts going into it because you'd never you didn't know that what if was a thing or have you just forgotten about it i just don't pay attention uh, <laughs> right. I, I i looked at it and I, oh yeah what ifs and i remember vaguely hearing about there being an animated series and then just never knowing where it landed and obviously with it being a marvel thing it ends up on disney plus and i have access to that through totally legitimate means and uh yeah i logged on checked out a few episodes and just Knowing that it'd be the alternative universe versions of um, Marvel storylines that are actually pretty well contained to what the uh, like not the way that uh, Marvel comics does or what ifs where it's like a weird tangent that like if you're a hardcore comic fan you know what the storyline's about but um or where the key plot points of divergence are but I think this is a good introduction to the idea of the what if the alternative universes that are so prevalent in comic books but don't really make it to the the big screen or the little screen. And I think they did a very good job of having giving you like the literally saying this is the moment where history changes and you know the moments of like this is where we were in that movie. Um for example, Captain Carter, uh, where we have instead of Steve Rogers, uh Peggy Carter goes into mm-hmm. the uh the super soldier program or she gets put yeah. into the machine to become a super soldier because this is the one shot we have to take it. It's unconventional to use a woman, but let's go for it, why not? Um and then they literally have the announcer saying, this is the moment where 
history changes and an entire new universe. But like having someone say this is that point and explain that concept to you is actually a really good way of doing it. And it was yeah. um a very good handling of explaining, okay, this is what you know, and this is where we're changing it, and here's how it all spirals out of control after that. Or here's how here's how that story progresses uh with a different character leading the way, which is yeah. is good. It's a very well handled, uh well executed uh way of explaining a complex idea like the multiverse in Marvel cinematic history. Because Marvel cinematic like multiverse is a fucking mess. <laughs> Oh, yeah. especially because every now and again somebody goes what if we try and combine more than one universe and you're like oh god <laughs> what, are you, what are you smoking do you know how much writing this takes you'd be happy with what you've got don't be a dick <laughs> so I yeah what I, yeah what I, what I liked about it is uh, the series is just, you, you'd never be able to do the full-fledged version in live action in any way shape or form in our lifetime it would have to be okay we're filmed Captain America, now we're going to do the reverse of that when Peggy Carter comes like, no, just do it in animation, it's going to take us much longer. And having us be guided through that by the character of the Watcher, it kind of it adds, a, it adds an extra level of just, we know this isn't going to happen, but we're going to get this guy to tell you, and it's going to be cool, and you're going to be okay with it. Adds an extra level of believability to it, kind of. Yeah, I should say as well, I've only really seen uh, two episodes, uh, just because we found a dumb point in the direction of the show uh, a couple like days ago. I yep. just haven't had time, but I've seen the Captain Carter and what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his heart. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would I would highly suggest that you go back back and watch episode two. Mm-hmm. What if T'Challa became a Star Lord? Just genuinely one of the be- I think yeah, one of the best episodes in my personal favourite. As much as I loved uh, what if uh, zombies and what if uh, Doctor Strange lost his uh, heart instead of his hands, as much as they're good episodes, uh what if T'Challa became a Star Lord is so much much better. Okay, I, I saw that one there and I was because... like, okay, I know a little bit about Chala, but I know only the Black Panther movie and I don't know much about the Star Lord uh, like the, the Guardians of the Galaxy beyond those movies. Like, yeah. I only have those movies. Whereas with, I feel like with um, Doctor Strange, I understand a bit more of that even <laughs> seeing the yeah. whole movie. Uh, and then with uh, Captain Carter versus Captain America, like the, the Captain America is so well explored, I can, I can get that a lot better and I can see it's going to be a simpler yeah. storyline anyway. Actually, in terms of like talking about how to introduce multiverse, showing you something as simple as here's how changing Captain America doesn't really change the story that much for World War Two in the universe. It's a very good, like, it's a good choice yeah. of a, an introductory episode or an yeah. introductory story. And that that is quite that is one of the good points about uh, what if is it shows you how, uh, especially on the first episode, it shows you how one thing can change, but the story turns out the same as in Captain Carter because. Uh, Steve Rogers, uh, he passes away instead of uh, Peggy, but uh, Peggy becomes the next Captain America and she ends up leading the Avengers, or if they do a kind of combined thing in that universe, she would lead the Avengers. And then it goes to show you how, you know, the entire universe can be affected by one thing, as in Doctor Strange, when he literally undoes reality because he tries to change one aspect of it. And then you've got things like uh, Chala episode, where literally he makes the entire universe better. Because he goes to space instead of staying on Earth, hmm. it's all but like you know, how little things can affect massive change, but how massive change in one aspect doesn't really change the outcome of the story, and it's that's why I love it because you know, as someone who always wants to know the other side of the thing, what if is just the perfect one of the perfect ways to do that. One of the perfect ways to do that. Holy shit, it is getting too late. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I one thing I wanted to figure out though was 
who is animating this because part of it, some of the, the animation was really good. I quite like a lot of it. Minor complaint about the lack of blood. I would love to see a bloody version of Captain Carter. Like, just as a Blu-ray exclusive, I want to see it with gore effect because she's shoving that shield into dudes' faces. <laughs> she yeah. is not fucking around with that shield. And it should be smashing people. Uh, but the the one thing I noticed was um, the, the situation of Captain Carter takes place because uh, there is a terrorist there at the initial kind of um, conversion yeah. from Steve Rogers to Captain America. And yeah. there's a Hydra agent. Yeah. And he pulls a bomb out. He blows up a bunch of people. And then he shoots Steve Rogers. And there's nothing. And I was like, I see him pull the gun. There's a bang. And then Steve Rogers just kind of, eh, and falls over. <laughs> And I saw nothing. And you're like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, he got shot. Oh, okay, right. Like, it just ruined the immersion uh, for a moment. And I was like, okay, this um, with gore. Like, because that moment would have been more impactful with the gore. I'd see Steve Rogers, like, bleeding out and being like, Peggy, go. Like, be cap, be the captain. Be the, be the hope, be the future. Be the super soldier. Um, I think it would have been better to have that with a bit of gore in there. But then when you get to see... uh. Peggy as like Captain Carter I would have loved mm. to see just her wrecking people <laughs> at one yeah. point she's like flipping people over she's just smashing people with shields and stuff if she flips a car at one point I'd love to just see the yeah. mess that would make if they just animated it all out but it's a Disney thing you can't have a kid going oh yeah Captain Carter it's, it's girl Captain America click and then just gore and blood everywhere you can't have yeah. that Disney would lose their shit I mean I did like how immediately they showed that she knows what she's doing. She's not just a random woman with a shield. She actually can kick a, a lot of ass, which, as you can imagine, pissed off a lot of people on Twitter. But how, how are we just meant to believe that this woman can, you know, be as good as Captain America without any training? Like, bro, it's a World War II, man, calm down. <laughs> World War II women are different from current women. <laughs> like, people just, there's just a mentality there that, like, hey, we need to go fight the zombie, or need to go fight the Nazis, and you're a super soldier. Can you figure it out? Pretty sure we can figure it out. Yeah, I can punch a few Nazis for you, sure. Yeah, it's not hard. You just take a fist and you punch a Nazi. Done. You know? I I was getting a bit annoyed, not by Carter being good, but there's a thing that happens when they know, whenever they want to make a female character seem good, they make male characters seem bad. Like, not bad, like evil, but dumb. And I found that was happening a little bit. And there's always, there's always the kind of classic... It's, the classic line of like a girl in a suit, a girl fighting in the front lines. We can't have that sort of thing. We're the boys, you know, smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. There's that. Yeah. There's a few of those lines, and you're like, okay, guys, this has been done to death. For fuck's sake, like, can we go deeper than this? But they actually just show that there are guys in the team, uh, particularly uh, Tony Stark's dad. I keep forgetting who Papa Stark is. Howard Stark. Howard Stark. Um, and then you know, uh, Steve Rogers would be by Captain uh, Carter's side. He just can't because he's weak. And so they fix that by giving him a giant robot. And then yep. once you get beyond the initial kind of there's a dame fighting on the front lines type of mentality, you actually get characters working with her. And I think it gets a lot better towards the end where you have the whole team working around the, like not working around the fact that she's a woman, but just working together as a team, not even paying attention to the fact that she's a woman. She's a super soldier first, then she's a woman. I think that is when the last, like, say... 30 minutes of the episode are getting really good when you just have mm. this uh the, the the glory days of Captain America like all the greatest hits of the uh the Captain America story are just played out in full 
just yeah. with a female Captain Carter rather than Captain America. Kind of had that feeling as well. There was a bit too much of, especially with uh, what's his name, Bucky. Yeah, Bucky just kind of been taken aback by everything that Captain Carter does. They've done that a bit better. <laughs> it's it's really bad feminist writing, where they just have this thing of like, we want to make a woman really good, so we make all the men around her dumb or ignorant or something, like that, and you just can't have anything beyond that because it's just it's just that the only way people write those characters. When you have strong women around, you just make all the men dumb, and I'm like, oh, I can do better than that. <laughs> still good. It's still like rare fun to watch, but I'm just watching it going, ah, oh, we've done all this before to death. Can we do something better, please? <laughs> Here to be entertained, not annoyed. It's a it's a, it's a good um, example of just like action animation. There's a lot of very fun shots. Uh, my favorite being uh, her being like launched out the back of a plane into another plane. Just the way the camera follows her, it's so good that like the yeah. impact she has as she smashes through the rotor of the plane or through the engine of the plane into the cockpit and just annihilates a bunch of people. But there's a lot of very good animation work there. Um, but I, I find the uh, the the Doctor, uh, Doctor Strange episode, like that is partially what forms my theory on Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, mm. is that episode where he's just being tortured by trying to save someone in the past and he just can't quite fix that um that point in history because you know his wife's death or his partner's death is a fixed point in time it cannot be moved and then the extent he has to go to try and gain the power to move that point in time is really fun like it's a really dark point in yeah. Doctor Strange. you can see him like it's when he meets uh the guy who guided him in the temple it's like, oh, you've been stuck here doing this ritual to try and gain power for decades. You've been doing this for decades. You've been dying. And I've I've basically died waiting for you to come out of that room. It's taking you so long. You haven't lived. I've just, I've lived. You've been trying to, you know, save someone else. It's interesting. But it's very, like, the, the animation stuff is very good. But I couldn't figure out who's done the actual animation because it's just hidden behind that kind of Marvel Studios uh, branch. Yeah. I thought it looked a bit like uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars at points. Just the way the heads yeah. look. A little bit. But to me it kind of looked like uh, one of the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games. The one that came out recently. Uh, 3 came out in Switch. It looked a bit like that but just a bit higher production. So it did, uh, there are some points where this just looks like a video game to me. Is that Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 The Black Order? Yes. That, it looks like that to me. Just with a bit better proportioned characters. Okay, I can see roughly. Yeah, I can see what you're driving at. I think maybe it's just because you know that's the video game. They have to have it interactive and just to look a certain way, and it like, is to be able to move. Whereas this is mm. all like pre-posed. So maybe they're yeah. taking some similar models. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, there's, but, a, there's uh, a few characters. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see what you're going. Yeah. Although uh, Cat Marvel looks totally different. Yeah, Captain Marvel looked weird to me in What If. She looked too... I've not seen her in What If yet. Alright. Where does yeah, she you, come in? Is she look... zombies or...? She is... What if... Uh, Earth lost its mightiest heroes? And that's basically someone goes around killing all the Avengers. Hmm. Pretty good. I uh, I did notice as well, Like if you look at the IMDb page for this, or the Wikipedia page, a lot of the like main MCU cast are back to do their own voices. Yeah. It's a but, lot uh, more than I thought. 
quite a lot of them. Like you've got Mark Ruffalo, Jeremy Renner, uh, Chris Hemsworth, uh, Tom Hiddleston. But then again, that guy pretty much owns the character of Loki now. <laughs> uh, the ones that were surprising to me that didn't come back were. Uh, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, but then again, she's suing the company. So <laughs> yeah, she's not coming back. <laughs> makes sense. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and Chris Evans as Captain America. To be but fair, it makes though, sense. If they've said that they're all done with their characters completely, I can imagine why they won't have them back. The second you say you're done and then you say, oh, but I'll leave one little, little cameo back, you know, it immediately will start off the whole thing of, like, no, are you coming back? Oh, we'd really like to see you back in the, in the shield and the cape. And, like, no, I can't. <laughs> I said I was leaving, I have to leave, and it's, yeah, yeah. it sucks to not have them back, but I think the replacements are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it. it I didn't even realise that it wasn't Chris Evans after the Captain Carter episode. It yeah. was only when uh, he shouted something, like, that's Josh Keaton, that's not uh, Chris Evans. It's weird that you again. picked that out, though. I'm quite impressed. Huh? It's impressive that you picked that out, like, you knew yeah. who it was. It's just because I've... After playing Marvel 3 for so long and playing as Spider-Man in that game, who's voiced by Josh Keaton, I can hear I can hear his voice a mile away. Like, it's just it's quite a recognisable voice. And the guy who played Tony Stark, he sounds like him, but not enough, in my opinion. And then Black Widow, I didn't even realise it wasn't Scarlett Johansson until the end credits. Voicing that one was spot on. <laughs> It's uh, it's impressive. Like, I I think that I I'm glad that maybe someone will appreciate. Maybe somebody who isn't familiar with uh, like voice acting will realize someone just nailed the like the voice, the mannerisms of hmm. Black Widow, like Steve Rogers, that wasn't Chris Evans. And it's someone I'm hoping that more people can pick up on that and see. Oh yeah, there was someone else who could play this role, and it was at least in voice. Um, I don't think there's anyone who could redefine those characters the way that they've been set in stone by what's come before. But yeah, I, I kind of um, I hope that more people appreciate talent of voice acting with stuff like this because it's, oh, it's yeah. a good gateway series to like animation. You could show this to someone who's like, oh, I don't really care for animation, and you say, oh, do you want to see some alternative universe uh, MCU content and show them this? And they'd be, oh, I think it's quite good. Uh, and to just show a newbie, especially the way they handle it. Is there anything else you want to talk about for uh, What If? Because I'd recommend it coming out uh, weekly, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, every Wednesday comes up does mean you've got to sign up for disney plus which is another subscription service which might be a bit of a put off to some people but there's a lot on there that you can get out of it i mean um captain america uh or sorry falcon and the winter soldier i've just done it as well <laughs> yeah. um it's pretty good i haven't seen loki yet um i keep feeling uh, tempted to watch it but i just keep forgetting to like i have other stuff that i need to get checked off the list first i'd say without a doubt loki out of the three Marvel shows that got put up on Disney Plus. Loki's probably the best. WandaVision's fantastic. Falcon and the Winter Soldier's good. But yeah, Loki's just, from start to finish, absolutely fun. Yeah, because I think that's what's uh, missing from those shows is just a fun character. That's what defines yeah. the Marvel Universe versus DC is fun. Oh, actually, I, I was looking at stuff uh, earlier because I was thinking about the uh, the fact that we have. Uh, two different cuts of the uh, Justice League, um, mm-hmm. which we mentioned in the four-part of the episode again. We're watching both those movies and taking notes and comparing. Yeah, I'm still not happy that you're making me rewatch Justice League. I'm not happy I've got to watch either one, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I've heard Snyder cuts pretty good, and that's coming from my brother, who's not a massive comic book fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he watched the films, but he's not that big a comic book fan. He said he really enjoyed Snyder cut. Well, he's not a big DC fan. 
movies or comics, and he said he enjoyed Snyder Cut. Justice, Justice League is the gas leak version, the gas leak <laughs> season. Because uh, yeah, they do my boy Batman dirty. He, he does no fighting. He never throws a single punch unless it's comedic effect, and he he talks like a bumbling idiot throughout the entire film. I uh, I was fucking looking, hate that movie. <laughs> I was I was looking at the uh, like most expensive movies ever made. Uh, list because it was like with Justice League being the original like 2017 cut reshoots or the original movie reshoots and then reshoots for the Snyder cut as well as re-editing the whole thing and mm-hmm. um, it must be one of the most expensive movies of all time um, care to take a guess at what the number one is most expensive film of all time yeah like adjusted for inflation it's not like an old film I'll give you that it's, it's in the last 10 years is it not? Is it a Nolan film? Uh no, but there are a few on the list. All right, because I was going to say Tenet apparently cost Christopher Nolan something like one hundred and fifty million dollars, and it made back seventeen point three million dollars. <laughs> that is not actually on the list. the The list I've got for the Wikipedia page is over over two hundred million uh, US dollars. Number one, no is idea. Actually, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, May twenty eleven, cost three hundred seventy nine million. He's yeah, Justice League is at three hundred million. Although it's obviously this is Hollywood accounting, nobody actually knows the real numbers, but the most mm-hmm. the estimates are that it was that. Um, next, like five movies though, are Avengers: Age of Ultron, Endgame, and Infinity War. But to be fair, mm-hmm. they did make it back. <laughs> yeah, at least triple. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, like they have. They are all like three hundred, uh, like three hundred twenty-five million to three hundred sixty-five million, um, with estimates, of course. But yeah, like you get a few down there. I was surprised to see that like there's a lot of Disney stuff down there. Like they've pumped money into a lot of these things. Um, despite the fact that you have a movie like John Carter, which is the one about the the guy from Mars. Yeah, fucking awful film. Yeah, um, that tanked horribly. Yeah, <laughs> like it was two hundred sixty five, two six four million adjusted for inflation, and I think it was a couple hundred, like hundred fifty million at the time, and um. Did not gain back any of it. Like lost 120 million or something like that. But despite it's a bad film. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I think despite that, they're like, okay, the budget worked. It looked fine. It's just the story sucked. Let's just pump that movie into Star Wars and Marvel. And we get decent stories. We get people to watch it because it's a known thing. <laughs> there, there aren't that yeah. many John Carter fans out there. Not that people not that many people read that book. Yeah. Or watch the original because I think it is a remake. Uh probably. It's it's Disney. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's weird that you can go back and find things in vaults and you're like, oh yeah. There there's like a whole like back catalogue of creative things that never went anywhere. There's yeah. actually uh an NPR uh podcast that they, they bought an old like from the archives Marvel hero for like ten grand. Like the full rights for the entire character. It's microphone man. I want to listen to it, but they, they bought an old Marvel character for 10 grand and have the exclusive rights to it. <laughs> and you can use it on t-shirts and stuff like that. So it's like, huh, there's like just <laughs> all this shit in the vault that <laughs> needs to be cleared out eventually. Yeah, I guess there's stuff in there like John Carter as well. So, yeah, yeah, interesting. It can just stay there. <laughs> it should have stayed there, but they didn't. Nah, they'll, they'll bring it back out again. They'll give it the Dune treatment. They'll polish it up and try and do it again. It'll be as bad. The problem is with something like John Carter is that John Carter is supposed to be a superhero story, but it's just based on kind of idea of Superman, where like the physics of your homeworld 
make you a god in another world. Yeah. And it just, you know, when you have actual Superman out there, do you want to see the the thing that inspired Superman from yeah. all those years back? You don't really need it, do you? No, no one gives a shit. I mean, people don't give a shit about Superman. <laughs> That's because, for some reason, I just think they've done it right. Henry Cavill's great, but it's, it's a weird storyline yeah. to tell now. That I think, as well, like the idea of the American dream personified in one man, ah, it's a bit tired, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's not the fact that they've They've done it well a few times. I don't think they've done it right to the extent where it's warranted a full, you know, full go-ahead, the full sequel treatment. But I, I do agree with you. They did get it right with Henry Cavill, but why they're not going back to do that is beyond me. You had it going well. You don't need to go and race-swap the character and do the exact same story all over again. You can just, you know, bring in a new version of Superman, call it Val Zod, then leave Kal-El, because you've already got that one sorted. Yeah. But then again, that is an ongoing discussion that it could literally go on for about a week. <laughs> it is like a philosophical debate lesson of the podcast thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, been and put back and forth. Half past ten at night, I'm not prepared to give that, that diatribe. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I, I wonder if maybe the, the push towards, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but there are more uh, like just pieces of entertainment just putting the idea of multiverses out there than there were yeah. 10, 15 years ago. And I wonder yeah. if it's in some kind of push towards letting big companies, the big franchises do the alternative universes and just putting it in I popular so. culture. Because the fans know this. Like The comic book fans know that it's out there. It's If you're a nerd, you know about the idea of multiverse and it's not that an alien a concept. But getting it out yep. there into pop culture to say, like, okay, there's this idea that there could be one choice, one decision, moves it moves the needle a little bit, and all of a sudden we have a whole new like spiral of universes going on in to infinity. And yep. I think that idea is coming out more in pop culture, and it will help things like a what-if show, or alternative takes, where you could maybe start to introduce alternative characters, or alternative combinations of uh, characters from existing franchises. I wonder if that's part of, maybe not like a part of the stated, um, like Marvel stage plans, but maybe just as an idea to throw it out there, just if we need an, an eject button, we hit that button and we say, okay, multiverse time, we go to alternative universes where uh, Ant-Man's actually Ant-Woman or something like that, you know, that we can do. I, I think it is more just, I don't think it's in terms of in, uh, being able to explore different uh, character choices and stuff. I think it is literally just a get-out-of-jail-free card. So just say, for example, we use the Ant-Man character because you mentioned him there. Uh, they take the first Ant-Man film, that fails, that fucks up. And it's purely on the shoulders that no one likes Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. So they do another version, but it's uh, Ant-Woman, and they change it from Scott Lang to Hope Van Dyne. Now, Hope Van Dyne is the character of Ant-Man. Wasp is now someone else. Wasp is played by a completely different character. Someone who looks a little and, bit like Paul Rudd. Yeah, and they say, oh, right, this version of Ant-Man works because we like the character that plays Ant-Man. And then they just say, oh, this is Ant-Man from Earth 4. And people go, oh, right, cool, that's how they use the multiverse things. So I don't think it's anything as altruistic as, you know, we're going to explore different versions of characters. I think it's more, yeah, this character isn't like this, we're just going to scrub him, we're going to say we're going to another universe, and we're going to start again. Oh, for the record, I'm not giving Disney any kind of altruistic credit here. They're definitely not doing it as like a as an idea to explore, like it's in a marketing sense, exploring new ideas. To see what can work. Yeah. But they're definitely not going to be like, oh, we need to try and 
uh, like pick these characters and you know diversify the the talent pool and stuff like that. It's just in case of okay, if we need to do something, what can we do? And somebody goes, we can just say it was in the multiverse. <laughs> And yeah right goes bang got it <laughs> and they write out all these different characters and just get to kind of test different like combinations of what can do, be done and that's kind of why i think stuff like dot strange exists why they're like it's weird to have all these very um i'm gonna say grounded superheroes because it's the best way to describe them but like mm. doctor strange is on a whole other level of weird for the marvel cinematic yeah. universe it's kind of impressive that he's in there when you look at like everyone else is like a technology or a superpower or a gift, or like, um, you just the, the money they have, like in Tony Stark's case, or like being yeah. like raised amongst aliens in the case Star Wars, and then you have a guy who does magic. That's <laughs> kind of a weird thing. I feel like he was always yeah. in there as the kind of like pull the rip part, like we're fucked. We need to reset the universe. Like he can do that for the yeah. Marvel Cinema. Yeah, yeah. I suppose uh, Doctor Strange is another one of those kind of get out of jail free cars as well. Like this is working, so you know, spell casty time. Make the wizard do it. I don't know, and, there was horrible consequences and all the people who had failing movies were just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> what a shame. And somehow the whole Marvel Sony dispute completely disappeared because Spider-Man's no longer here. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's going to be interesting after, a couple of years for Marvel. Yeah. Uh, we've always been interested to see what happens after the, the snap and after Thanos is gone, like, and after Tony Stark's gone. Like, it is yeah. the end of an era stuff. So seeing how they're actually reacting to it all is fun. Interesting. Yeah. Again. But in a very meta sense, like, <laughs> the content, it's not bad. But in terms of like watching a company try and readjust itself after massive change, that's fascinating mm. to me. Yeah. And it is, is fascinating, fascinating to watch them kind of hustle to try and get this thing put in, put in a, a form because I've heard that Phase 4 had Tony Stark and uh, Steve Rogers still be fairly prevalent characters, but then they both wanted out. They so they had to scramble to rewrite things. So I can imagine what if they'd stayed and that could have been a whole other different thing. Because there's always the meme that, you know, Captain Marvel could have taken all the energy of the Infinity Stones, let her use the Infinity Gauntlet, and everyone stays alive. What would happen if they lived? But it's probably a good idea to change things up again because you've always got the tie back or the the callback to the previous Avengers. You've still got War Machine, you've still got Thor, you've still got uh, Bucky, uh, Sam Wilson, who's the new Captain America, and you've still got uh, Bruce Banner. You've still got all those characters floating about there to kind of inform the new guys, but I kind of see them almost as elder statesmen now, where they're just like, we're not going to do as much fighting. I mean, Bruce Banner has the that arm that he got at the end of Endgame, so he's kind of, you know, I'm on, I'm on gardening leave, I'm just here to help the new guys. <laughs> but it's you guys that are going to be taking the, the lead on this. Captain Marvel and uh, Spider-Man were meant to be the kind of new leaders of the of the Avengers. But with Spider-Man, his fate being up in the air, whether he's going to stay with Marvel or someone they're going to take the toys away, which is looking likely because there's there's the rumor again, more of these no way home rumors that Marvel and Sony haven't been able to reach an, an agreement for more films for Tom Holland, so this could be his last film with Spider-Man, which is stupid if it's true. Yeah. Because as much as I love I was going to say, as much as I love the Spider-Man films, but I only really like the new Spider-Man films because Tobey Maguire was only good in one Spider-Man film. I get that people say Spider-Man 2 was one of the best superhero movies of all time, but I personally couldn't stand it because 
uh, whoever they got to play Mary Jane, whose name escapes me, screamed and screeched throughout the entire movie. And it didn't matter to me how good Alfred Molina was as Doc Ock. It just was ruined by her screechy acting. And then Spider-Man 3 happened. That was a pile of shit. And then it was the same with Kirsten, Amazing Spider-Man. It's Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunn. Yeah. She just screamed all the way through the movie and I didn't like it. It's just like, we get it. Your damsel in distress. You just stop ear-piercing screeching all the time. And it was the same with uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. The first one was really good and the second one was dog shit. So they've got a good thing going with uh, Tom Holland as Spider-Man. It's making Sony money. And if they take Tom Holland back and put him in Sony Spider-Man films, they're going to have to take out so much story and world building because they'll have to take away the MCU characters that they own. And it's going to be detrimental to both sides. I can see Marvel using that to say, come on, let's do another you know, let's just sign a deal that allows you to use Marvel character, MCU or Marvel Studios characters. We get to use Spider-Man. Let's just sign that for a, a, an indefinite amount of time. None of this, you know, two years renegotiate, two years renegotiate bullshit. If I was Sony, that's, yeah. If I was Sony, I kill Tom Holland as Spider-Man, like in a movie, gone fucking dead. <laughs> like, yeah. and then say, okay, you can have him back, but if you do, you have to re-resurrect Tom Holland. <laughs> and have the Disney have Disney shoot a scene where they physically resurrect Tom Holland as Spider Man, <laughs> just as a middle finger to everyone. But I don't think I think maybe you get rid of Tom Holland to end the the participation of Spider Man in the MCU, and then just everyone looks around and says, "Okay, we're done with this discussion," and they walk away. Maybe the best way you do it. And if Sony want to resurrect Spider Man as a franchise five years down the line or whatever. Um, I think you do it with a new cast, completely. Although I've heard, I've heard that they, I mean, that would probably be the best thing to do because it's a huge middle finger to the Marvel Studios if they say, right, Tom Holland will no longer appear as Spider-Man in Marvel Studios movies, but he will continue to appear in Sony movies as Spider-Man with zero connection to the MCU, despite the fact that his story is interwoven with the MCU right now. They would. Get, they would shoot themselves in the foot and they would lose money because people would go, well, I kind of liked it because it had, you know, Tony Stark and it had uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury. You're taking all that stuff away. It doesn't really work anymore. I, I like this film. It feels boring and shitty. Because you take away S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not really an option to replace that with in the Marvel Universe. It, like, we're this new version of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we invented just for the Sony Cinematic Universe called the canon, and that we'll come up with a what that means later. <laughs> yeah. You can't really hustle. A, like, this is Nick Fury. This is Vic Nuri <laughs> from Romania. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you it, have to do too much work, and it's not worth it. I, yeah. think, I say you just bury it and move on. Really, again, it would be a shame. But what are you going to do? It, it involves more money than I could physically dream of. And I can guarantee that right now, Marvel Studios have got you know, lawyers pouring through contracts looking for some kind of get-out clause that allows them to take, uh, take Spider-Man back into the fold of the Marvel Studios. Or I can even imagine that Marvel are prepared to make Sony an offer in terms of, we want to buy these character rights back off you. Hmm. And it'll probably be somewhere within... 12 to 13 billion just for one character and all its character, all its uh, associated characters. I still think about the fact that, um, you know, 
the Star Wars franchise was bought wholesale for billions. And I find that funny. Yeah. I don't know what it's three billion or something. But... Yeah. George Lucas made it like a bandit on that one. <laughs> yeah. And now people want him another in talks to basically give him Star Wars back. But obviously Disney would still own it, but he would basically be in charge of making Star Wars shit again. <laughs> that's that's because weird. Because it's not working. The movies aren't working. Uh, the the TV shows are working, but that's because you've got Dave Filoni, who's basically just George Lucas's apprentice. He's running shit. He's making sure that everything goes according to what he and George uh, agree upon. Still need to watch The Mandalorian. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so good, man. So good. You need to watch it. Oh. Although, that's that's another show that they're going to have to do some major reshuffling on because, yeah, Gina Carano ain't coming back, despite the fact that she keeps posting Cara June uh, images and promotional stuff, they're going to have to reshuffle that heavily because she was set to be... She wasn't set to be a big character in the show. She is a big character in the show. Yeah. Plays a pretty crucial part in terms of the whole role with the, kind of, the team that she has with Mando. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But... I didn't know, and here's a weird bit of trivia for you as we round out the show. Um, it was um, I went back and found a clip of Tim Curry as the Russian commander from Command and Conquer Three, and it's the one where he's young about going to space. Yeah, classic, classic new material, fucking great. Um, I shall go to the one place untouched by American capitalism. Spice, spice, <laughs> suck it. <laughs> it's At the one point where, in between him saying capitalism and space, you can tell he's trying not to burst out laughing. Like he's drawing on all his acting training not to laugh in this director's face when he has to say this cheesy as all hell line. But the, uh, actually, fun enough, J.K. Simmons is in the game. He's the American yep. president. And also, uh, Gina Carano is the Russian Tanya. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that had a fairly big cast as well. George yeah. Takei was the. Ja- uh, he's the, ja- the, uh, the Japanese emperor. Uh, it's, yeah. It's a really good cast. Uh, and Jenny McCarthy Melissa was McCarthy? Jenny McCarthy, Jen- not Melissa McCarthy. Melissa yeah. McCarthy does not look like it. <laughs> Jenny McCarthy was the uh the American uh covert operative. Can't remember yeah. her name. But yeah, it's it, you look at it and it's it's you can find all three campaigns um like uh like storylines on the on YouTube and they're fun. Yeah. They're so so stupid. It's so great. Yeah. The, the Japanese developed a, a walking like samurai, a giant robot samurai thing. It's awesome. And then for some reason, they're like, what if we weld three of them together and have it spin? <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck me, this is stupid. <laughs> but George Takei comes on and goes, so this is our secret weapon. I'm like, how is that a secret? It's fucking huge. <laughs> Just look under that tarp that's the size of the Grand Canyon, you'll see it. <laughs> it's, a, it's still spinning. <laughs> Someone turned the giant robot ninja off. Fucking hell. <laughs> Time to leave the ninja on again. <laughs> Somebody left in the John again. <laughs> uh, right. Um, I think we're ready for our elevator pitch, uh, which is a new thing or kind of new idea we had uh, a couple of weeks back. Was that basically the the showstoppers were a lot of fun. And it was really fun to go right and research them and figure out what was going on with nuclear explosions used to build their destroy dams and uh, weird like sex cults out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I, I feel like we want to change it to the, towards the end of the show where we give you something to go figure out and enjoy yourselves um, rather than us tell you something that we, we found uh, randomly perusing the internet. 
Um, so the idea was that every week we'd come on and give you a mystery link and we'd have 15 to 30 seconds to basically sell you. Well, I think I'm going this week yet, this week, unless you have something yeah. No, I don't have, we, we discussed this before the episode and I said, I forgot we were doing that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am basically going to give you a link to Team Four Stars, B-Star in 8 Minutes. Uh, now, B-Stars is one of my favourite shows for the last few years and it's being picked apart and distilled down to uh, a bite-sized chunk by the masters of fan parody Team Four Star, who we know is doing Dragon Ball Z and uh, Helsing Abridged. Uh, fan parodies using just rewriting and reusing the scenes from the show to make, uh, take the piss. And I think you can enjoy this as a fan of the show. If you watch B-Stars on Netflix, uh, I like it as an anime. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, if you can't be bothered to watch all of season one, or if you're someone who thinks it's uh, an anime about furries going through a high school murder and that sounds kind of stupid. Um, so I'm going to leave you that link. It is eight minutes of just absolute comedy genius from some of my favourite people on the internet. And I think you should click that link. How about that? I don't want to watch the furry show. <laughs> well then, I have a good news. You can distill it down to eight minutes. <laughs> just oh, to laugh your ass I don't need to watch the furry show. <laughs> I think that's where we wrap up the episode. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, you can no longer reach out to me on Twitter, um, but you can reach Dom Anderson at Hold on, um, uh, at Dom underscore Anderson 25 on Twitter. You oh. can message me, I will not reply. <laughs> no feet pics. Um, and you can reach out to the podcast at Jibberfish on Twitter, or you can reach us at Podcast at gmail.com. But again, no feet pics. Um, as for that, uh, until the next time, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Tom Anderson. And we've been talking gibberfish. <laughs>